Hello, everybody. Welcome to Frame Trap. Long time no see. We're coming to you on a Friday uh, <laughs> because I was on vacation. Welcome back. For two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I actually want to start talking about vacation because okay. we're thinking a lot about vacations and how, <laughs> me how, <too. laughs> how useful they can be. Um, but with me today, over at the end there, is Daniel Bloodworth. Hello. Got a big notebook of games. Yeah. Daniel, you are always the most prepared. Okay. You like, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure the audience knows this as well, but it's always encouraging to me when I'm starting a show and it's like, no, he's got stuff to talk about. I, I probably like, won't need to reach yeah. here. I like to shoot from the hip. Yeah. I like to just, you know. You're good at that, though. Go on my raw instincts. There, there are some allies that are really good at shooting from the hip. There are some allies that are good prepared. I would say you and Kyle are hip shooters. Nice. You like shooting at each other sometimes, too. <laughs> this is true. You're, you're dueling pistols. But right there in the middle of talking, Brandon Jones, the hip shooter. How you doing? Excellent. Brandon, love, I came love in. Love Frame Trap. I get excited to be on Frame Trap because I like talking about games. I like having yeah. that specific uh, avenue to to be like, wait a minute. I like to prepare things for Frame Trap. It's always on my mind. Yeah. Like, the, you know, when like... I'll, I'll be in the process of playing a game I really enjoy, and like we'll think about frame trap because I'm like, oh, gotta package that, package that experience, and uh, get input. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, just because of the nature of our work, we end up talking about um, recent releases, and but I like that we don't have to. You know, you can just yeah. come to me and you're be like, hey, I've been playing yeah. Final Fantasy VI. It can be whatever, and so I think that's that's what makes me excited to shoot Frame Trap. Is it's just like, no, this is what I want to talk about the most, whether that's new releases, old releases, whatever it is, or hear Huber wrestling stories sometimes. But I'm your host, Ben Moore, and like I said at the very beginning, uh, I took a vacation. And I don't want to be too self-indulgent, but man, that vacation was really good for me. <laughs> it was really good. Uh, yeah. You always stacked up with like 20 games, so hopefully, yeah. 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 No, no, I am. I'm, but that's the thing is I, since Easy Allies has started, I've been kind of stacked up with 20 games, which is my own fault, but uh, it's just kind of been a sprint since March 2016, and this mm. was a moment where I just got to take a breath and kind of take it all in and, and think about how things were going and think about everything and just not do the same routine. I think it's important for human beings to not always do the same routine. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you would think, I mean, we do a lot of crazy things, right? We do a lot of crazy streams and stuff like that. But there, there is a routine. There's like, this has to get posted here. Or mm. I have to spend this portion of my day playing, this portion editing, this portion writing. And it was nice just being like, I'm going to go to a barbecue. Yeah. I haven't done that in three <laughs> years. Um, and just sort of that, uh, that breaking up of the regular routine. And I was curious because I don't know about vacations you guys have taken, I've never really talked to it about you. What's sort of been the most therapeutic vacation for you guys? Uh, well, when Mike Buddy got married, uh, I went to uh, oh, yeah. um, Bora Bora, but uh, a nearby island. They actually, everybody always talks about Bora Bora. It's like the end of X. Bora Bora. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, like a very classic like vacation spot. Yeah. But actually, he got uh, married on an island uh, named Morea. Um, that uh, was not necessarily remote, like it was definitely close to like a major like metropolitan center, but uh, just the island itself, there was not a lot going on there. And uh, I figured that video games are really good. I love video games. Mm -hmm. uh, sadly, video games are now second place in as far as the greatest thing that you can do in the world. Uh, the greatest thing that you can do is get a overwater bungalow, like just over the water. Explain that's, this to me. That's the best. <laughs> you can basically like stay at a hotel, but you have your own room in your own little like hut, 
uh, that is just on water. So you just like wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm going in the water right now. And then you just get down and you're like, boom, you're in the ocean and you swim around. Um, and I had been, I, I had been two overwater bungalows. I'd stayed in overwater bungalows, but specifically on Morea, we were right at the end. So there was no one to the left or right of us or in front of us. It was just like our view uninterrupted on ocean level. Um, the water just felt like a bathtub all day. I mean, it was just, yeah, out of control. So I was, I was depressed when we left. When you <laughs> like, not around. just like, shucks, I'm sad. Right. I'm going to miss this place. Like, like two or three day depression. <laughs> Coming back, it was so impactful. When you looked around, was there just no one? There were, I mean, there were definitely people there, but they are all in the same chill vibe. Like everybody that worked there was just like very calm. Actually, it was um, the the thing that surprised me about a lot of the islands there is are owned by France, so it's mm-hmm. technically France. So like a lot of people there speak French, and hmm. uh, so that vibe, yeah, I wasn't uh, anticipating. But um, how do you spend your days so in a bungalow? Uh, not doing a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I brought. Uh, Fantasy Life on 3DS. I played oh. a lot of Fantasy Life. Um, just soaking up. Just the wind alone. Just like standing there and just feeling like that uninterrupted ocean breeze. Just like that's traveled across miles and miles of the Pacific Ocean. Just like hitting me. Um, yeah, that would that could last for about half an hour. Yeah. Um, the, the meals got a little repetitive because we had a lot of our meals at the resort. And because we were there for a wedding, it took several days to get through like all the events. So, uh, you know, having the same breakfast for like the sixth day was like, okay, maybe sure. I could go. It might be nice to like drive into town, go play someplace different. How many people were in the bungalow uh, with you? Uh, just me and the troop. Just me and oh. Amanda. Yep. Nice. Very nice. Uh, another thing I realized, and you've told me a lot how much you value the outdoors and how important it is to just get out mm-hmm. there and see the world. Uh, I made a considered effort to not look at screens as much. I mean, there were definitely times I had to check in for easy ally stuff, but there were just days where it's like, I'm not going to look at a television or a computer monitor or my phone. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read a book or I'm going to sit on this deck and watch birds. And I I sound like a, an old Midwestern man, but (laughs) you just, you just need it. Sometimes you just need to sit in silence. And it's, it was amazing to me how much noise was in my life. Um, and it was nice kind of getting away from that. There is a group of people, I wish I had the name, uh, that is going around the world recording silence. Mm. <laughs> because mm. it seems like something you're like, why is silence all over the place? Not really. There's not many places uh, outside on Earth that you can record that you're not going to pick up a plane or a car or right. somebody talking or, you know, even like a, a car honk can like travel like a pretty great distance. And so. Well, well it's really great. I remember one time we went up to Mount Wilson Observatory and. You could hear like the birds cutting through the air, like as they flew over. It was just like, what the heck? <laughs> so it's yeah, it's it's rare. Enjoy it if you know there's a place. I know a lot of our fans are living in some pretty remote areas. Yeah. Like, if there's places you can go to that you can just like to like Alaska, you know, like there's nothing nothing but the wind. Uh, that's pretty cool. I can imagine it'd be really frustrating recording silence. Like you have to have moments where you sit down to record and then something, a noise happens. You just go, I think ah. they did a lot of that for uh, The Witness. Like oh. those environments, they went around, uh, I, th- I think it was Angel Island in San Francisco, around San Francisco. And they recorded like environmental audio around there to kind of have for similar environments cool. in The Witness. Soothing. Blubberth, have you been on any fantastic vacations? You've kind of been to some exotic locations relatively recently. Um, I don't know if I'd say exotic, but, uh, yeah, like the, the most recent vacation was, yeah, for our, our, our anniversary, uh, and yeah, and I like to do, I like vacations, like my open world games, um, I, <laughs> we, we went up, uh, to a, a spot, uh, 
kind of like central coast of California where like one of the places we were looking at having our wedding but ended up not going to. So it's like, let's just go back up there and, and check that out a little bit more. Um, and it was off season, so everything was like really quiet. And uh, it's like right around when we were getting a lot of the rains in California. So like places that are normally like brown and gross, like everything was just like lit up bright green, like you're in Scotland or Ireland or something. And just like the fog rolling in off of the coast and everything. And, and just, you know, being up there, like having, you know, just the relaxed hotel room and then just r- r- literally just like looking at the map and like, okay, what on the map is green? And let's go there. Let's drive up the coast. There's a green spot. Let's stop there and see what that is. And finding, you know, all kinds of places that nobody had ever told me about. I didn't know. But like, this is amazing. There's these gigantic cliffs and all these different rock formations as the waves are carving them out. And there's a whole bunch of seals and you are a real life adventure. A couple Korok seeds. It was a good trip. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go on a vacation with you. I want to just yeah. sit in a car with Bloodworth and then have us both get excited about some unknown, undiscovered thing. But there are people that definitely people, friends I have, uh, people that I've known that are really good at that. You know, as mm. opposed to people who are not at just like finding good restaurants, finding good locations, finding good like non-touristy yeah. but still worthwhile places to stop. Well, even in my own day-to-day life, when we're when me and my girlfriend are thinking of a place to go eat, we always drive by places and it's like, oh, we've never we've never yeah. been to this side of town. Why don't yeah. we go there? And then we're actually thinking about places to eat. Gone. It, yeah, it's just gone. <laughs> it's just gone. And so I need to do a better... I love trying new things. Um, and so I just need to be better about... That's why we need the, like, the contact lenses that you wear that track those things. So when you say them, it takes a <laughs> mental picture of it and stores it in the phone. And then you check later. Apparently Roombas are tracking everything going on people's Whoa. houses now. I just heard something on the radio on the way over. It's thinking. <laughs> I can't handle it. I can't have my whole life be recorded. It's too much. But Minority Report, I'm so game. I'm just, you are? For the record, game? yeah, I'm so game. <laughs> so you'll be the first one among us to have like my, cybernetic implants. My dream. Well, not only well, that. I don't my know. Dr- Ian yeah. has Alexa already. Remember. My, yeah, my dream is that. But Alexa functions on request. So you got to like ask Alexa for something. My my dream is when Alexa is always listening to me and always processing everything I'm saying always. So when I ask Alexa for something, it's not. It's not like, hey, listen to what I'm saying right now. It's give me information on the last thing I just said, or even earlier. Like, hey, that thing I was talking about this morning. What was that? You know, what movie was that? Or the thing I searched for yesterday. You know, access. Would that. you go? Tell me the last thing my neighbor just said. Sure. Do you think do you think you'd be able to resist if you had the power? No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's hard. We'll see. Yeah. When you're given access to all the information, it's it's hard not knowing. Boy. We have a list of video games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Time to get to work, Ben. I have to I have to pick who goes first. And you would think with the summer, before we came into the summer, I was like, oh, this'll be the time where we'll have random most of our things that we're talking about won't be video game related it'll be like oh brandon's been to several musicals or (laughs) or bloodworth is talking about f1 racing or something but we're we're playing just as many games now as we were before and so it is a game-filled frame trap uh blood let's start with you what do you want to talk about with first you've got you've got a list of of things here yeah um i'll start off uh with a, a dlc for uh Deus Ex, Mankind Divided, called A Criminal Past. Uh, and a kind of, for a frame of reference, because this came out in, like I think, February. 
And as I said, like I had a vacation right then. I had family emergency. Then we did GDC. Then the Switch came out. So, like I got this game, and you know it's really DLC, but it's kind of it might have been better to put it out as a standalone game. We'll get to that. Um, but uh, so yeah, it's just been sort of sitting there on my backlog. And 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 the other thing is, if if you've listened to me talk about Deus Ex before. Uh, I've always been very dissatisfied with how they've handled DLC. I felt like Square Enix Montreal, for all their great game design and everything, did not know what the heck to do about DLC. And Human Revolution is my biggest pet peeve because they put out this thing called The Missing Link. And it's like, no, there wasn't a missing link there. That played out way better before you inserted this eight-hour detour that just slows the pace of the game down. Um... And then they did a similar thing that wasn't as egregious for Mankind Divided, but it was like this other, you know, uh, bank robbery kind of thing uh, that supposedly happened at this very specific time in the story. And a criminal past, um, I don't know if I would necessarily call it the best DLC, but it at least gets that right. Like, this is a standalone story that is separate from all of the other events <laughs> in the Deus Ex universe. And uh, and so it doesn't feel as weird like you're suddenly taking my progression away and everything else because it all sort of makes sense. And the way that it's set up is um, there's like a therapist um, at uh, TF29 where, where you're an agent. Mm -hmm. And she's like, and she's sort of new to the team. And she's like, okay, tell me. Tell me about like your first mission with TF Twenty Nine because I I'm the the details in the file they, that seems hazy. I want to like like get the real report down as to what happened. And so what it so this is going back before Mankind Divided, and you were basically inserted into a prison uh, in Arizona uh, to get. Uh, in contact with a guy who's been in deep cover, like investigating gangs, because you need to pull him out and get him on uh, a different case um, that he's like valuable for. Uh, and so that kind of covers the whole why are all my augments taken away? Because you're in prison, they put a yeah. thing in to like suppress your abilities. Oh, okay. You know, and. Uh, it don't, isn't there like an accident at the beginning of Mankind Divided where like, don't you. Like, they tweak your powers in a way, so obviously you're not getting yeah, it yeah. if it's a prequel. Yeah, so, and plus they have, like, the experimental logs in Mankind Divided. And that's another cool mm -hmm. thing they do in A Criminal Past is once you do start getting access to your logs, uh, is they give the player a choice. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's very kind of fourth wall breaking or whatever, but at least it's, it's like, okay, the stuff that's in Mankind Divided happens after this. So you can have that... Or you can have the cannon abilities that you would actually have, that Jensen would have at this point. Yeah. Um, so you can you can play through it either way. Um, so the one thing that I would really have wished they would have done a bit more of, though, would have been a l maybe a little bit longer of an introduction to being in the prison. Um, like maybe like some more just kind of daily life, some more doing favors for people. They have a bit of that. But it feels like you just almost immediately like just start getting things done. Um, whereas I think I feel like I would have like liked to have settled into that environment a bit more first. Yeah, it's something that I struggle with a lot with DLC, uh, where 
you have a big open-ended game and then you say, well, let's scale that down to just a small fraction of the length of it. And I feel like, it, especially in a game like Deus Ex, where world building and character progression and little details are so much of a part of it, that it, it just... Nothing would be a worse experience, but that it it wouldn't fill you up the same way that you'd be going into... Uh, the main game for, and I think that's something that Witcher does really, really well, is these expansions are huge. Like, yeah. they're entire games in their own right, and so you don't feel that dwindling effect that you might with Deus Ex. Is that, is that true? You said this, this is the best of the Deus Ex DLC that you've played? I think, I think so. Because, again, just because it's a standalone story, and I think it actually plays um, in its favor now that we know that Deus Ex is probably not getting continued for another five or six years. Yeah. You know, it's good to have something that, like, this is the beginning and end of this, and it doesn't have any weird cliffhangers or, you know, tie-ins to the, the overarching plot. You know, it's it's just this mission. Um, and it does have a lot of uh, stuff to kind of unwrap. There are, like, kind of multiple layers of undercover and conspiracies and things happening, and... You know, and this guy thinks you're actually somebody, like, thinks he knows who you are, but he's wrong. Like, yeah, so it's like he knows you're undercover, but he thinks you're undercover for somebody else. And so you have to kind of play into that. Um, and so there's, like, a lot of different interesting layers to it. And then uh, same with the gameplay. Uh, you get There's this one point where there's, uh, there's like, this augmented bio cell um, that you are supposed to get and... Uh, give to somebody else as a favor to this guy in the prison. And there's multiple points along the way of this quest line that you can just choose to use it on yourself. Mm. And so it's like, okay, do I use this on myself and let make these people angry with me? Uh, or do I play along even though I don't know exactly what they're going to do with it? Uh, and it's interesting because uh, at first it was like, okay, I'm going to play along. I'm going to see where this leads, go down this path. And then I got to a certain point where like this doesn't seem like a good guy. Something's not right here. I'm like, I'm not, okay, I've got everything I need out of you guys. I don't need you. I need those six ability points right now. Good luck with whatever you're going to do. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> and I'm curious, like, how that decision would have played out differently, you know, later on the line, you know, whether, like, more people would have gotten killed or less people would have gotten killed or whatever as, as things, you know, get, get crazier later on. Um, and then... Um, and then the you know the the level design is still like you know really great and giving you multiple options and lots of room to explore. I was actually in this one part where it was uh, it was like the the administrative section and like all of these people's offices and stuff. And I was trying to figure out how to get through the offices without getting spotted by anyone. And then I just like went to jump over something and I like grabbed on and I'm like, oh. There's like a whole path up here, like on the ceiling above all the offices oh, that I wasn't even paying attention to. Oh, neat. And so I could sneak around uh, that way as well. How long is it? Uh, I'd say, pro you know, like Deus Ex and Dishonored and stuff, like they're so variable. Uh, I'd say maybe six, six to eight hours, something like that. Okay. D decent length. Uh, <laughs> I feel like with all of the Deus Ex DLC, I've had you or I've just discovered months after it came out that it even existed. Right. I feel like they've done a pretty terrible job of communicating what their DLC is, why it's cool, uh, where I don't have that with other comparable games. Like, I very much 
know about the Dishonored DLC, and everybody was talking about it, and there was a lot right. of Right, yeah, that's it. a really big deal. Yeah, it is. It's a big deal, and a lot of people, you know, you have people out there that say the Dishonored DLC is better than the main game, and everything that you're saying with this Deus Ex DLC seems like exactly what you want. I'm surprised that this is the first time hearing about it. Right. I didn't even know its name until you yeah, said, I think hey, they this probably, is what I'm talking about on Frame Trap. They probably did put out a trailer for it, I'm sure. And sure. I, I know, like, you know, the, the PR guy was, like, really, like prodding me a lot it's like yeah you guys gonna cover it it's like yeah i want to at some point but i don't know when yeah you know it's like now it's like six months later almost it's like, right now's the time now's the time that i finally got into this thing while uh, basically while my switch was broken that's kind of what <laughs> happened it like led to me playing a, a bunch of other games that's what it took can you <laughs> explain that your switch broke how did it break what broke how it broke i am not entirely sure i guess it was just a matter of it was a defect that just took enough time before it it finally happened. Um, I never got like an official like diagnosis from Nintendo, but essentially what happened was I was uh, playing Splatoon 2 for review the Friday before Splatfest, and uh, I had been in lobbies. I'd been playing all day, and then all of a sudden, like I got disconnected, and then when I went to um, you know just like get reconnected back into a game, like. My, my switch doesn't just wasn't responding and then I tried you know rebooting it and started playing again and then it like just froze up again and it was just kind of this cycle of like it was would start freezing after a couple of minutes and I would start getting error screens and all of this kind of thing uh, and through my own troubleshooting and tests I, I figured out it is most likely had something to do with the wireless controller because um, when I turned it to airplane mode or I turned Wi-Fi off, like I could play it indefinitely. And then as soon as I turned the Wi-Fi back on, it was like dead. Hmm. So, um, and then I somehow got to play it for like another two hours on Saturday and then it started doing it again. So I just, I just sent it to Nintendo. It took like three or four days, uh, for them to take a look at it, swap it out, uh, with a new one with all in swap my data to the new one and send me the new one back. So you got it back within four days? Yeah, like uh, I, I made a service call on Saturday. I shipped it on Monday. I got it back on Thursday. That's pretty good. Pretty good yeah. That makes yeah. me yeah. Makes feel hope. all right if <laughs> something goes bad. Uh, you have another... I want to transition this okay. really quick because you have another Nintendo game uh, not Splatoon 2, right. that you want to talk about, that I played the demo of, that the demo's available now for everybody. Yeah. Before we do that, I've never had a Nintendo handheld break on me. Like, I've never right. had it go defective. Yeah. Um, I've dropped them, I've scuffed them up, but it's all personal error. I've never had them, them go bad. On both a PSP and a Vita, I've had, like, dead pixels and stuff. Mm, sure. Have you ever had... Nintendo handhelds just seem indestructible. Yeah. I wonder if, like, even my old Game Boy Advances still work. You know, probably. Um, I still have a couple of those, like, clamshells around. I, I feel like I a... sent in a DS or something with a dead pixel once, but I don't have a clear memory of it. It was such a long time ago since I've actually dealt with customer service. But I still had the number memorized. That was hilarious. It was like, I got to call Nintendo. It's a really boring thing, but I'm always fascinated by how consoles break. Because you'll go online and you'll read these wild stories right. of... I turned it on, and then every light in my house went Like, you just see these crazy stories. <laughs> like, how could that possibly happen? You must be the only person that's happening to. If you've had 
a crazy console or handheld mishap, please let us know because I am I am curious. But what is the 3DS game you've been playing, Blood? Uh, yeah, so I've been playing Hey Pikmin, which weird title by the way. Hey Pikmin, um, and like on the three, I think on the 3DS menu, like all you can really even see is like the Hey part of it. This is such a nitpicky thing. The hey series. Hey but, Mario. I want to get your opinion on it. The title in and of itself kind of makes it feel inessential, right? Sure. <laughs> it just It's a variable to Pikmin. It's not it's not Pikmin. It's it's hey Pikmin. Right. <laughs> when you say when you say it's like when you go up to your friend and you go, "Hey, have you seen this?" and it's just so casual, you'll probably forget about the conversation immediately after having it. Even if it was like, "Hey, Persona." You're like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, right." <laughs> right. Like even just recommending so it to somebody, night, "Have you played Hey Pikmin?" Like, no, no, I haven't played Hey, Pikmin. I don't know. It just doesn't. <laughs> I guess um, it's fun. It's carefree, but I don't know. Sure. Yeah, and I, I and I honestly, like, I didn't immediately write it off. I know, like, there's a lot of people that, like, had this backlash, like, on the internet that was like, oh, it's a side-scroller. Oh, it's not, like, real Pikmin, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't know that I want real Pikmin on the 3DS anyways. Sure. Which I think is an interesting uh, point because it's like, Okay, could Nintendo like get away with putting out this game, like say on the Switch, like a side two D Pikmin game? You know, whereas like 3DS, it's like, well, yeah, don't you don't expect as much out of the 3DS, right? So, like, that's fine. It's a smaller version, smaller game. It's a different game. Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't played a ton of it. I played a couple hours, gotten through the first world, uh, but so far. Unfortunately, it's not really getting me. Like, it's actually been kind of annoying in its design. See, I was one of the people that wrote off Hey Pikmin, and Mm -hmm. I downloaded and just played through the demo. I didn't spend a lot of time with it, just enough to finish the levels. And I thought it was all right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought for a side-scrolling Pikmin game, uh, the way that they kind of condensed it down into this format was pretty smart. Uh, like I was having fun. Like the the levels are very vertical. And yeah, so... and that's the thing. That's one reason. Like we're not doing a review. We're talking about it because right. capturing this and putting it in a video is just kind of insane. Because the whole thing is two screens high with this gap in the middle that's accounted for. And so it's just like I don't know how to, you would present it very well. But one of the things that I really love about Pikmin is you're in this world and it's just like, hey, go find this stuff. And you'll have a lot of moments where it's like, oh, I think I think there's something up there. And then it becomes this puzzle of, of yeah. figuring out how to get there. And that's kind of translated into Hey Pikmin, where you'll see something up above you and you have to figure out a way to get there. But I don't know, maybe maybe that gets old or it's, it's more shallow than it appears in the demo. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like... Some of the stuff that they're doing, especially again with the the two screen thing, it's it's interesting to like, you you can't get up there directly, but you can throw the Pikmin up there, and th- and that works pretty well. Uh, the the main thing that has been kind of grating on me is, um, there's a part of Pikmin AI design that I think is easy to take for granted, that is actually not present in this game that makes a crucial difference and makes it super annoying, is that. In a normal Pikmin game, when you throw a Pikmin, they will stop and stay in that place unless there's something to do. Mm-hmm. And in this game, when you throw a Pikmin, they will always run straight back to you. And so there are these moments 
where I'll just, I'll be exploring. And again, Pikmin is a game where I feel like, okay, I explore, I, I, I get my sense of my surroundings, and then I, I, you know, go in a direction and do that thing. I can't really do that in this game. <laughs> I kind of have to take the opportunity as soon as I see something, because if I go over this cliff that's like this much too high, then I can't take my Pikmin back with me. Because as soon as I throw them back up there, they're going to run back down the cliff, and I can't get us up to that thing. And so my only option is to replay the level. And even though the levels aren't that long, it's still it's it's kind of a pain because sure. this isn't a game about completing levels. This is a game about finding everything in those levels. And so I just want to be able to do that without feeling restricted. Do you think your criticism comes from you wanting more of the Pikmin experience or just that it's it's bad on its own? I think it's it's bad on its own, and I've just kind of identified like why it's bad on its own because mm. it's, again, it's like I walked too far to the right, and so now I have to replay the level. Like that's bad in any game, sure. you know. Sure, sure, sure. And, and then I did like the last level I did, I actually didn't get any treasures because it was just full of those kind of ah ah ah, you shouldn't have done that yet, kind of things. Yeah, and thinking about Pikmin and a lot of what makes it so good is you'll get into those fights or you'll get into those situations where uh, you get in over your head and everything is on fire or all of your pigment and drowning right. and you still ha- kind of have some room to like make choices in the moment. Do I grab them and retreat? Do I like leave them to die? And because you're ca- you can be kind of separate from them or put them into different groups, I feel like you can just sort of do impromptu crisis management in a more interesting way where they're, they're tethered to you more heavily in Hey Pikmin. The other thing, again, I just played the demo, so I don't know if enemies get more elaborate, but one of the great things about Pikmin is because you have these little tiny units that fight for you, uh, when you're fighting these creatures, they can roll over on you, they can use their tongue to lick you up, they can jump on you. It being a 3D game and them being so much bigger than you uh, is a big part of combat, just taking into account that space. Whereas in Hey Pikmin, in the demo, I just sort of found myself just tapping on them until they were dead. Yeah, not... Mo- most of the normal enemies like have not presented any kind of right. problem at all. The first boss fight was pretty pretty cool because it would come in and out of the background, and so you'd have to dodge and you'd have to like find ways to sort of distract it, you know, before you could run and, and get behind it and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, th- there's other things that are like really weird about it, in that uh, like the number of Pikmin you have doesn't feel like it matters. Yeah. Like you you complete a level and they go to this place called the Pikmin Park, which is basically just kind of like they're just sort of doing this stuff in the background while you do levels, and and so that's like a top down almost like a normal Pikmin game. And it's like, okay, well, put the electric Pikmin on this side of the park and put the fire Pikmin on that side of the park, and there's not really any thought to it. And as you complete levels, you add more Pikmin to that group, but that doesn't affect at all how many Pikmin you bring into the next level. Like, each level, it's like, okay, you yeah. you, you come into a yeah. level, and whatever Pikmin are there, those are the Pikmin that you use. And if, by chance, all your Pikmin die, well, then suddenly four more Pikmin will appear so that you can keep playing the game. They're on loan, these Pikmin. Yeah. So and then they, so the only real consequence of being in a level and not having enough Pikmin is that there'll be certain uh, devices that you, you you need enough Pikmin to carry this or to sit on this or that kind of thing. Um, 
So, so that's kind. Of, that's kind of cool, though, is that there there are secret exits to other other levels and things that you can only get if if you've kept your Pikmin alive. Brian, what's your experience with Pikmin? I love Pikmin One, uh, dearly, dearly love Pikmin One. Didn't give Pikmin Three a chance, uh, which is unfair. But played Pikmin Two until I went into like a dungeon mm-hmm. that had like multiple floors, and I think it was on floor like eight out of mm. ten, and wiped. Like, mm. lost everybody, like, my entire crew. And so I was like, oh, I got to go back to the surface. And then realized, like, it's going to take me a couple hours to even just get ready to go back down there again. And I don't know if I'm going to remember by the time I go back down the lessons that I was supposed to learn to not put myself in danger like that. And maybe I should play a different video game than Pikmin 2 at this point. It and was that's what too I did. much of a punch in the gut. Yeah, I, would, I just kind of, like, yeah, I didn't feel like recovering from that. Uh but love Pikmin, would love a Pikmin 4 on Switch. Like, would love to get back to that traditional series. But, like, we have replayed Pikmin 1 on two separate occasions. So I think I've played that game three times all the way through. Nice. Because it's just the, just the length of it is just the perfect. And it's it's so addicting to put the shit back together and yeah. and experience Olimar, like, discovering these things and learning more about them. And it's I feel like a lot of people complain about the time management in games. Um, I feel like when people don't like Majora's Mask, for instance, the thing that they point to is the, is the clock. But I love in Pikmin 1 yeah. just the strategy of what am I going to do today? All right, this is how much time I left. Is it worth going for this? And I feel like that is, out of all three Pikmin games, that is done best in Pikmin 1, um, where I, I felt like my decisions mattered the most. I was punished the most severely. Um, and, yeah, it's, the, Pikmin 1 is just so much more compact than the other two games. Uh, have you played it with the Wii controls yes so that, that is, was the third time okay played it twice on gamecube and then i'm um, of the opinion that is the best way to play pikmin <laughs> ever i don't i don't want to play pikmin almost any other way did you like the motion controls i did like the motion controls i don't think it um yeah i, I don't think it's something where i would go back to the gamecube and not enjoy myself you know after having tried them but uh yeah it's like resident evil 4 that's how like, I it, it's a it's a whole different game yeah, yeah. it adds a lot to it just being able to flick your wrist and point at something and attack it versus like taking the stick and trying to orient it in the right position. Yeah. Um, that was actually something that with Hey Pikmin, Blood, I don't know if you ran into this. I don't know if I'm just not used to it yet, but because it is using the touch screen to aim and throw Pikmin, yeah. and because it is very much taking advantage of both of those screens, there were so many times where I was just like, I wish I could just tap the top screen. Right. Like it, it felt. <laughs> Like, I couldn't always aim in the space that I wanted to aim in order to get my Pikmin somewhere. Did you run into that? Um, not too bad. Uh, one thing that I think was uh, is kind of funny is uh, when I found out, like, this is the same team that did, uh, like, Yoshi's New Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, oh, like, throwing Pikmin in this is a lot like throwing Yoshi eggs. It's kind of, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like living Yoshi eggs in a way. Sure. Uh, so it has a lot of the same uh, mechanics. Um, another thing that, uh, is kind of interesting is, uh, and I've been on the fence to this, like, it's, it's, it's cute and sometimes annoying, but, uh, they, there will be, there are actually, like, a lot of cutscenes, uh, in this. It's almost like you walk up to a place where there's some Pikmin and, like, this little, it's like this little short plays out, there's this, like, comedic thing, this cute thing that Pikmin do in this situation or whatever, Mm -hmm. before they actually join your group. Um, but then the other thing that's weird is, uh... This game is like all over Amiibo. It's like Amiibo on this screen, Amiibo on that screen, Amiibo on the map screen. And it's it's kind of strange. <laughs> this is just like so much in your face Amiibo stuff. What is the Amiibo stuff getting you? Um, 
I don't know all of the functions because I don't actually have any Pikmin amiibo, but it's uh, also compatible with Splatoon, Animal Crossing, and Mario amiibo. Um, but I think I think some of the Pikmin, of course, um, I think some of the Pikmin ones, uh, they'll get you like more Pikmin in the park, and then I think there's some way that you can save and transfer data back and forth to one. But I'm not exactly sure what that does for you. Uh, but using the Mario and Animal Crossing amiibo, what there are is on each uh, world map, uh, there are these extra little uh, bonus puzzle stages. And so when you scan the amiibo, it'll pop onto one of those bonus stages. And they're really, uh, they're not even, they're almost not even really a stage, it's more like a puzzle room. Cause you go in and it's just like, the amiibo is here and figure out how to, you know, solve the puzzle to get your Pikmin to retrieve it. And um, and so most of them aren't that difficult to figure out, but I did have one where it was like I had to avoid uh, an enemy and then my Pikmin got eaten and so I wasn't able to solve the puzzle and, and then the amiibo went away and I had to like rescan it to get it to pop up onto another bonus room. When your Pikmin get eaten, mm-hmm. are you as sad as you are with regular Pikmin? Uh, I'm not. Unfortunately, they, they I'm not. Do Pikmin ghosts? Yeah. <laughs> I feel but, like uh, it is one thing that is fun about the amiibo though is just to see what they say mm. like you know what Olimar says about these statues and he's like oh you know like Peach reminds me of my wife yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, Tom Nook is like what kind of person would put a sweater on an animal with so much fur <laughs> just like, it's just so, so it, is, it is kind of cute that way but it's one of those things where it's like, well, you can't complete this collection without you know, all the different Amiibo. It's just another screen that's going to have a bunch of question marks on it. I don't know that's if I've r- been more guilt-stricken in video games than when I leave a Pikmin behind at night. Right. That's mm. a thought I had, everybody, but there's just one lone Pikmin. <laughs> because it's like a Band-Aid slowly <laughs> ripping off. off. Yeah. It's, it doesn't yeah. just happen. Yeah. Uh, it's, all right, this is how many Pikmin you're missing. It's yeah. flashing on the screen. The night is slowly coming. Yeah. We're going to show you a cutscene with a panning camera of your Pikmin getting eaten, terrified in their final moments. Yeah. They, they trusted you. They thought you were their friend. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> leave them behind. No. Blood, I'm kind of bummed out. I, yeah, I didn't put too yeah. much thought into it when I was playing the... The demo, but I feel like you've made you and Brandon collectively just rather than playing. Hey, Pikmin! Maybe I should just finish Pikmin three. Maybe that would be. A hey, Fire Emblem. Game. That actually. Hey, Fire Emblem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, finishing Pikmin three would be a great call for sure. Yeah. But, so three's yeah. good. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Hmm. The final level is super hard, so be ready. The thing that it was kind of a moment where you know how Huber says that he doesn't like laser puzzles and it's just this this weakness that he has with games i am bad in all aspects of my life at handling multiple things at the same time mm. and that's that's all of pikmin 3 you like real time strategy though that's why i can't stand real time strategy i like real time strategy but with any real time strategy i'm not taking it incredibly seriously i guess okay. i guess the only 
time that that's not true is I used to play a lot of Warcraft 3, but that was when I was a kid and I had a lot of time to devote to it, or the Total War series, but that's like its own different weird thing. Uh, I like turn-based strategy. I like being able to think and mm-hmm. just, yeah. that's that's why I like RPGs because it's like, okay, I'm going to focus on this one thing. I'm going to yep. get to the character at this point. All right, we've done that. Moving on. It's just how I work. It's just how I function. And in Pikmin 3, they're like, hey, you can do multiple, you have this day, you can do multiple things at the same time, switch to this person, do this thing, and then switch back over to this person. I'm like, my brain can't handle this. I can't do it. Uh, but it probably wasn't, Blood, you're very good at managing things. Pikmin 3 probably wasn't a problem for you. <laughs> Delegation. I, Delegation. I, I, I'm a brain in where the, yeah, the real-time strategy, I've never really got into it because, yeah, it's stressing me out. But Pikmin seems to be an exception for me. Blood, we've got two more games here. Yeah. Both um, of which I don't know anything about. Yeah, so uh, two games that are very closely tied together uh, because I got the code... Uh, for Sundered, uh, which is uh, the new game by the same team that did uh, Jotun. And I'm like, well, I haven't played Jotun, and I've been curious about that game, so let me check that out. So my intention was to put a couple hours into Jotun and start playing Sundered, and uh, it's been the other way around. I played all the way through Jotun Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I liked it so much, and I've only put a couple hours into Sundered. Uh, But we'll start with Jotun. And uh, this is really cool. Uh, it's a top-down uh, action-adventure game. And it's, it's all based around uh, Norse mythology. And uh, it's also narrated in Icelandic, which is a great touch. And all hand-drawn with, like, really great art. Like, you can actually kind of see, like, some of the sketch lines and stuff and some of the characters and, like, really, really cool animation. And... Uh, and you're essentially this this Viking that died in a dishonorable way, and you are trying to prove yourself to the gods that you're you're worthy. And you you go to these different areas and and uh, kill these Jotun, which are basically like you know monsters, like elemental monsters. Um, and it's really great because it gives you a really good sense of like feeling small like your character is pretty small and all like you at times you almost can't like distinguish <laughs> what they are uh, with these big monsters and then also I'll, you kind of like shadow of the colossus in a way like you're not fighting like a ton of smaller enemies all the time you're sort of exploring these worlds and trying to find your way uh and and i say what one part that plays into that is that you have you have a map but you don't see your position on the map. So you're trying to recognize the landmarks and the places that you are and try to like, okay, like, okay, I found this here, that's on the map now. Okay, I can keep going up this way to try to see if there's anything else uh, in that direction. Uh, so so it's just really interesting navigating that way. And then they, they also do a really good job of setting the scale by just kind of uh, zooming the camera in and out a lot. So you'll be, be closer when you're just walking around and exploring, but then you get to this vista and it'll zoom back and then you can see this whole other level uh, in the distance. And, and it works really well, I think. Uh, and uh, there's this one like dwarf city where there's like this army of dwarfs comes attacking you and it's just so much stuff on the screen and it's just so amazing just like fighting through them all and, and, and them all going down. Uh, there's another one that's like, uh, what style of game is it? 
It's, I mean, it's kind of like a, a Zelda game in a way. Um, so, okay. like, you defeat you defeat bosses, and then you find, like, these statues of the gods. Is and the it gods... top-down? Like yeah, so... yeah. Okay. It, and the gods give you, like, different abilities. Like, um, there's one that's, like, a shield. There's one that's healing. Uh, there's one, uh, Loki uh, will actually create, like, a decoy. So enemies will attack the decoy, and then the decoy will explode, uh, which works out really well, especially, like, you know, when you're just trying to, like, bait a boss into one direction and like you know come up behind him and attack um and then um freya will give you speed and then thor will give you like mjolnir so you like just knock a big hammer onto a dude um so so yeah so it, and it kind of you kind of have like this central hub and then you just go out to each of the different levels uh and you unlock each one as you defeat the last last one um but uh yeah, there's like these moments where like you're on an ice lake and like you start like seeing the shadow under the ice and then this big huge serpent comes up or like you'll be going across like the branches of Yggdrasil and stuff. And I, what I like about it is like like I don't know Norse mythology like super well and I kind of right. feel like I learned more about it through this mm. game. And I don't know if it's like that accurate to real Norse mythology, but it, it, it gives me this sense of authenticity in a way. When these moments are happening, where you're having these these big moments where you encounter this giant creature or this this event, is it kind of that feeling where, oh man, this came out of nowhere, this world is dangerous, this could happen at any time, or is it kind of like that classic video game thing where you go into the room and you're like, yeah, this, this, this something's going down here. How is that stuff? Oh, it's definitely kind of it's definitely like a focused boss fight because okay. you, what you'll do is generally there will be like two worlds like two levels that you'll explore and then once you've done both of those levels and you've gotten the runes from those levels and that will unlock the way to the boss fight um so it's definitely kind of you know video gaming in that sense that it's you know a pretty familiar pattern as you go through the game i feel like with these situations that you're encountering something that would take me out of it is i feel like difficulty is very important in a game like this Mm -hmm. where uh you wouldn't want these giant creatures to be too easy or too predictable or feel too video gamey because then it would take away from their sort of grandeur, I guess. Uh, has it been pretty difficult? Um, yeah, like it wasn't super difficult, but it definitely died a few times and had to reattempt some things. Um, there was one, <laughs> I think there was one level near the end of the game that was maybe took me as long as all the other levels put together. <laughs> Um, and that was partly just due to uh, not only its size, but just some of the some of the mechanics they had in the exploration. Because there are these uh, big guys that throw rocks at you, but then you can knock those rocks into the lava and build bridges. And like I said, I could look at my map and I could see that like, okay, there's obviously a statue down to the south of this area that has. Uh, an ability that I can unlock, I, I got to figure out how to get there. And I wasn't seeing a path. So I'm like, I am just going to use these rocks and build a bridge. And I was like, all right, throw a rock, hit it down, sinks into lava, hit a rock. And it just kept doing it. And it's like till I'd had like, I think probably like 25 or 30 rocks. And I had built my bridge all the way across to this island and there was probably an easier way over there somewhere else. But you did it. You I did felt it. good. <laughs> you beat it. And I got yeah, and I got this ability that, you know, is clearly an ability that is optional. So, uh, yeah, it was it was nice to have that in in the final boss fight. Brandon, something that Blood said uh, 
about how there's this authenticity to the North mythology that is presenting and how it, he, he felt like he was learning. Mm-hmm. I love, it's not just games. Uh, I love it when anything that I'm consuming makes me curious about the subject matter and I, and I go and I want to learn more, whether I read up on it or like I visit something. And it's just when, when it's not just a singular experience where it mm-hmm. kind of like creeps into and affects the rest of your life. When was the last time that you consumed something video game related or not, that made you go out and explore a new topic? Um, it wasn't, uh, it didn't happen in that order. It was something that I was familiar with and then got more context on in the game. Sure. But I remember when everybody was like uh, whining about Assassin's Creed 3 when that came out and everyone was so frustrated and they're like, I don't like the story. And <laughs> I don't like this world. And like, yeah, these, battles aren't, these battles aren't as like, you know, as big as I thought they were going to be. All of those things I agreed with. But I went to school in Boston, and my brother oh. did too, and so I'd, mm. I'd visited Boston and, and and been to a lot of these locations. And so I, I mean, every time I re- kind of retriangulated my position, I was like, oh wait, I know, I know where I am. So I remember one big eye opener I had was there was a, uh, um, a a office building, and at the top they had a map of Boston, and it was Boston uh, when it was in the 18th century when it was first you know discovered and or not discovered when we first like you know started colonizing it. And then they had a overlay, uh, a projection that would be like, this is Boston now. And so much of it had been filled in, like, like the apartment building where I lived wasn't, was like on the ocean, you know, like they've just put in all these like landfills and just like basically made it a big, uh, big landmass where they could build a city on top of. And so a lot of other Assassin's Creed games I played, I would kind of like back out of those little, uh, messages that would pop up whenever you get near a building or something. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh, a little interesting factoid about that person or that building. And be like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read those later. Meaning never. And uh, here I was like, oh, no, I actually do want to read those. And some of them were actually spoken out loud by the characters that are outside the animus that are communicating to you in the yeah. game. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I think there was one especially that they were like, they're like, this uh, will be a library in 20 years. And this famous author will, will go to this library, own the library, or be seen there a lot. And, and uh, he's like, oh, that's cool. Can you visit the library present day? And she's like, nope, it's a coffee shop now. And I'm like, it is. <laughs> like, I've actually been to that coffee shop. So like that, having that context was great and made what could potentially be a, a not as good game as other games in the franchise uh, entertaining for me. Sure, you could appreciate it from a whole new angle. Yeah, uh, I haven't been to all the cities in America, but I've been to Boston several times, and Boston is awesome. Boston's great. Boston is great. It's a groovy town. I, I'm sad I've never <laughs> been to PAX East because I bet uh, mm. that's, that's a the fun... only PAX that I've been to. Yeah, I bet that's fun. Yeah, I've always it wanted is, to do it that. It is fun. Blood, do you have anything else that you want to say? Is it You've said this to me three or four times now. Is it Yotun? Yeah, Yotun. I Yotun. think is, is, okay. a, is the best that we're going to But with a J me. if you want to Google it. Yeah. J-O-T-U-N. Um, uh, what did you play it on? Uh, I played it on PC. Okay. Yeah, and that was one of those things where it's, it's like, okay, I got the code for this. Do I have Yotun somewhere? And I like, looked at our Steam list. and like, okay, there it is. Cool. I can download it. Because um, there's a lot of... And I actually have like another probably 10 or 15 games right now that... like. Nobody either has interest in or time to play, and so those will go on to our, our group accounts for in case they come up later. I know you just probably have a list of all of our library games and all of the codes <laughs> that we've gotten on your computer, but I like to imagine that you have like this old tome that you flop open and like dust comes out of, and you have like a giant feathered quill <laughs> that you write things on. And you're like, ah, Huber has checked out Assassin's Creed Brotherhood or whatever it is. That's that's my head canon. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so th- nothing else specific about Yotan other than the fact that, I, yeah, I, again, I, I was planning to just peek at it, 
get a reference and no, like it grabbed me enough for me to want to play through that whole game, uh, which wasn't super long either. It was probably you know it again, sounds six, really cool six or eight hours something like that. Yeah. Um, but then Sundered, I just started the other day, and it's having the opposite effect on me. Like I saw the trailer, I'm like, this looks awesome. I can't wait. And getting started on the game, just like, uh, I don't know about this game. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a little bit more cryptic uh, in terms of story because it starts off with this great-looking scene of like you walking through a sandstorm, and then like some kind of hands come out of the ground and just like drag you underground, um, and then uh, kind of Shadow of the Colossus in a different way. There's this thing called the trap trapezohedron. It just looks like this big red chunk of stone. And it seems super evil, but it's like, the only way you're going to survive is with my help. And it's like, I, okay, I guess I'm, this, this thing is going to guide me through this world. Uh, even though I don't really trust it. So, um, and then it plays, it's, it's uh, instead of being top down like Yotun, it's a side scroller. Um, and so more like uh, more like Castlevania, really. It's mostly like melee attacks and dodges, um, and wall jumps, lots of wall jumping. Uh, but I th there's there's two yes. main things so far uh, that have been dragging it down for me. One of them is uh, the world is uh, procedurally generated a bit. It's weird because it's like there are chunks that like this is always here, like this big chunk is here. But then there are individual rooms within that chunk that rearrange kind of like every time you die. Ah. And so just trying to get back to where you were is kind of a bit of a challenge because it kind of has that like roguelike thing towards like there's not checkpoints in the map that I've gotten to so far. It's like when I die, I'm back at the beginning. And so I've got to go all the way back down through here, but it's not the same route every time. And it's also like not those areas aren't that distinctive visually either. I just kind of feel like I'm going through like the same kind of jungly area, the same kind of industrial area. Like it just sort of, unlike Yotun where I was like constantly presented with new visuals, it's just like, I feel like I'm going through the same rooms over and over again. Uh, the other thing that's really weird and, and frustrating is uh, the enemy design. So unlike a Castlevania or a Metroid or something where you just, you just have enemies placed in the world in specific ways and behaviors, um, in this it seems almost like the enemies are on a timer. And so you'll just be going through the world and it's kind of empty and then all of a sudden, flood of enemies coming at no. you and there are all these types of enemies <laughs> no that just system. come straight at you. Like they don't do much else. Well, I have gotten some snipers now that are showing up, but, but a lot of them are just like, this thing's going to run at you like and just jump in your face and there'll be like 10 of those at the same time and you just got to like dodge and survive. And, um, and so it's just kind of this weird like annoyance of just like get mobbed by stuff like every two or three minutes and then move on. Um, and then, uh, and it's also like, there, there's like, uh, there is a map and, and it's strange because it kind of just on the map tells you that like, you need an ability in this room to be able to go a certain way or to unlock the way forward in there. Um, and, oh, and I think the other thing that kind of bugged me is like the first boss or mini boss that I've come across was just like a larger version of one of those enemies that just flies at you. And I'm like, 
Mm. Oh, like I saw cooler stuff in the trailer. I know it's there, but right now it just it it feels more like a slog than I would like it to be. Yeah, it unlike what you were saying with Yosin, where you were describing these like elaborate, very cool scenes, that it felt like there was a world there. It felt like it was living. This just sounds like a bunch of systems stitched together that are not very fun to deal with, and they don't feel like. It doesn't sound like you want to explore. It doesn't sound like you can give me any particular moment that really stood out. It doesn't sound like you had any encounter that had any tension in it whatsoever. Yeah, and I think, well, one of the things, too, again, I think they're trying to, you know, play on the roguelike thing is like when you die, like when you go back to that first spot, that's where you can, like, beef up your skill tree. So it's like you kill all of these things, and it's like, okay, well, now I've got more health, now I've got more shields, now I've got more energy to dodge. And so I can get farther and deal with these hazards better, but it just doesn't, like, retreading those areas doesn't feel fun at all. And right. even exploring new areas hasn't felt that interesting. So it's weird. It's like, I don't know. Maybe somebody can do it well. I, I can't think of any examples, but I, like, I just don't know that procedurally generated and Metroidvania are things that belong together. <laughs> well, you know? it's, it's a game that I've been hesitant to talk about on Frame Trap because I just haven't put enough time in, but right. based on early impressions, uh, Dead Cells hmm. does seem like it, it does that very well. Um, but, but Dead Cells, like it has a great aesthetic, but it's also very much folk. It has a great feel to it where you're just there's a satisfying loop of just going and killing things uh, that it doesn't sound like is present in Sundered. And it just doesn't sound like Sundered nails any one particular thing. Like, it doesn't sound like it has an interesting world, doesn't sound like it has interesting enemies, doesn't sound like it's particularly fun to kill things, um, and it just doesn't have that focus. Uh, and it's, I don't know, have either of you guys played Hollow Knight? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that game's yeah, great. Man. I haven't yes. played that much of it, but, yeah, I, I do like what I played. Because I feel like when you... There are a lot of Metroidvanias out there. Yeah, there and I are. Feel like, I just thought that, actually. Yeah. Like, that's, that genre's kicking right now. Right. I feel like... Even something like an Axiom Verge people probably missed, you know? Oh, like, yeah. Even, even some really of the legacy one. ones from the last couple of years are still viable and still out there to, to get. With Metroidvanias, I feel like what a lot of people focus on, almost to a detriment, is we just have to cram secrets in places where it's just, okay, we have to make it so it's like, oh, I'm going to want to come back here once I have the proper stuff or once I you know, have the ability or once I change something in the world. And they're so obsessed with how the levels are pieced together that they don't think about how the world is presented. And that's what's so good about Hollow Knight is the the window dressing that it has yeah. where you start in just this this desolate town and it it feels so believable and there's like a there's a logic to it it's not just a bunch of squares that are stitched together it's like no this world makes sense and when it slowly transitions out of that desolate area uh you can see how that transition happened yeah. and like and all handles, of these what's handles that? its characters really well too. right yeah. i was just gonna say the characters uh where they're they're not just they're not just, like, functions to be served. They're, like, you hear this guy whistling and you go investigate him, too. It's just piecing together that world is so important um, that, I yeah, I think, to me, that's the most interesting thing. Like, when you think about Castlevania Symphony of the Night or Super Metroid, like, it is the believability of those worlds, despite how ridiculous they are that make them so cool. So Yeah. And, and again, to be fair with, you know, both Hey Pikmin and, and Sundered, like, I've... I've only put a couple of hours into each, but it's just one of those things where it's, you know, 
couple of hours you should have grabbed me at some point i feel you know so there could be better stuff down the line but you're gonna have to push through it a bit i think mm-hmm. i want to talk about cutoff points for games where you know you're not necessarily reviewing something and your time is limited and you have to cover a lot of things when is the moment for you, Brandon, where you go, yep, this isn't working, and even if it gets really cool down the line, I'm going to let like it go. It's like Pikmin 2, you know, that, that sure. moment where I realize, like, I, I just, and, and it's, it's interesting, uh, those moments I recognize, and I, I rarely will feel guilty about moving on to something, because there's always so many great things to play. What'll, what I always find interesting is when I'll get, like, a gag reflex on a game where I'm just like, I should stop playing, but I, like, I kind of chew through it, you know? It's kind of like, no! Like, I know know you just got a pang. Like, uh, Galaxy of Heroes, I play religiously. I play that game on my phone every single day. And every now and then I'll just be like, this game's kind of boring. Ooh, oh, oh, like, there it is! (laughs) There's the, you know, that uh, stop playing this game just reared its ugly head, but I'll kind of fight through it being like, no, it's the... The persistence of this game that's so rewarding and like unlocking all these characters and making my roster bigger. Have you had and the inverse of that where your gut has been proven wrong? Where you were just about to give up on a game and then you had the golden goose and it... Yeah, and Persona it 5 you. probably. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would totally believe that. I, would. Uh, I mean, I, I, I will say with Persona 5, there were yeah. moments in the first like five to six hours where I questioned like, am I going to beat the... Am I going to get... Am I ever going to get past the point where I feel like I'm obligated to play this game, where I feel like it's important for me to play this game and have as much of a reference on it as I can, versus I'm just playing this because I'm I'm really enjoying myself. I'm enjoying every aspect of this. Was that anxiety just the size of it that was overwhelming you, the unfamiliarity with it? Also, the the time crunch. It's like I can handle a time crunch if it's done... in a genre that I more understand, something like Dead Rising that's action, that I'm like, okay, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty good at killing these zombies, where whenever I hear you talk about like some hot dog vendor that gives you some bonus that you gotta go to every, on every Tuesday, I'm like, I'm gonna miss that guy! You know, so yeah. there's like that fear of like, am I doing this right? I talk to you about like every time I would go to bed, I'd be like, can I clean my desk? Like, you know, not really, like, I thinking I'm, I'm missing that. Like, I, there's some prompt that I'm not clicking. No, that, that, later, cat, like, ah. that cat <laughs> can be kind of a jerk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, it's it's funny when you, when you thought that actually, uh, I find that happens more in books, where like I will be a couple chapters into a book and be like, I don't care, and like right. sometimes it's been something that Amanda has read and been like, please keep going. And I'm like, okay, okay, and then later when I finish it, I'm like, I'm very glad I finished that. Yeah, but boy, did I not was I not into this world at all, or just kind of resented like how it was being fed to me. The Golden Compass, I remember, was one of those. I was like, and Oryx and Crake, if you if any hmm. if any. Uh, Listeners had read either of those books. The beginning of those did not impress me. <laughs> were very frustrating. I feel like I'm kind of at a, an unusual spot right now where uh, just in recent years, I've played a lot more JRPGs in close proximity to each other oh, than yeah, I yeah. used to. Like, it's just one JRPG after another after another. And it's been so many that the slow starts, it's not that they don't bother me or not that I won't criticize them, but I've had enough slow starts that have turned into amazing experiences right. or at mm-hmm. least like I am eventually enjoying this yeah. that I see so many people who maybe aren't used to that and they're just like, nah, I, I played five hours, ten hours and it didn't hook me and I think to myself, that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. That's a fair <laughs> thing to say, right. but there have also been times, I think especially with Xenoblade Chronicles where I thought at the end... Uh, and Persona 4, I felt this way as well, where it's like that in retrospect, in context, that slow start ended up mattering more than I thought and mm-hmm. doesn't feel like such a hurdle in the beginning. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, you know, it's on the top of a lot of lists, but I, Chrono Trigger is right there 
like that start is so slow like having to do all the stuff oh, in the man. fairgrounds no. and it's fun and it matters <laughs> at no. times. But, but you, you know but when right. i go back to replay that game i'm always dreading that start okay i disagree with you but here's here's what it is like i don't i don't think you're wrong uh it is a slow start it is you know, the mom coming in, waking you up, all that stuff. But what I like about the beginning of Chrono Trigger is you have agency very quickly. You are doing things very quickly. Like, yes, you're just doing mini games, but you're running around. What I cannot stand in so many JRPGs is you'll have 20 minutes of cutscenes, yeah. okay? Yeah. And then and then they have the goal to do this. Oh, this is, this is bad. This is just awful. They will give you control for 10 steps. Right, you'll be like in a dungeon. They'll, they'll transport you to some odd place, and you'll you'll walk a little bit, and then you have twenty more minutes of cutscenes. That's that's a dick move. <laughs> like if you're going to do that, I would rather just have you continue the cutscene. Sure, because it takes me out of the moment. And like, why would my character do that? Why would my character move a little bit and then stop? It just doesn't just doesn't make any sense. It's almost like they feel guilty, yeah. <laughs> but they can't think of a more elegant way of solving that problem. And what I like about Chrono Trigger is, I feel like it's doing a great job of introducing you to the tone and world of that game uh, by giving you the fare and. Like all of those games, I had such a blast with as a kid. Maybe they don't hold up now, but yeah, at least at least you're doing something. From Sunder to Chrono Trigger, <laughs> we did it. How do you how do you handle cutscenes, Brendan? Uh, I'm okay with cutscenes. Yeah, I like. I, I mean, I I like open world games, so a lot of those cutscenes are predictable. A lot yeah. of times, like I I'm, I'm walking into a space knowing like here it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, yeah, I don't play a lot of uh, uh, as many RPGs as you do, as many games where. Um, even something like a Metal Gear Solid, I I, I never played for, which uh, uh, Huber is very upset about. Um, <laughs> but uh, I know th- that when when you said the ten steps rule, like that's probably one of the biggest criticisms I heard about that game, and s- something that I was like, I bet that would be very frustrating. Yeah, is when you can't because I can take a cutscene again if I, as I know if it's like World of Warcraft or something. It's like, oh no, I'm I'm actually anticipating this cutscene. I'm actually going to this area knowing a cool thing is about to happen, and right. like I'm gonna cash in here and and get some good story tidbits. But it's it's when you can't tell. Even something like Life is Strange, which is like almost, you know, like 60% cutscenes. Yeah. You're like, there's that person. I'm going to go talk to them. You know, so like if you can gauge the pace of like, I know how long that's going to take, then you can get excited about it. But when it's like, uh, you know, when you're, you're like, free me from the, the, the chains of cutscenes. Like, I don't when, I don't know when that freedom's coming. Then, yeah, unfortunately, no matter how good the story is, it can be a bummer. I think part of it is because of heritage where... Like, specifically with turn-based JRPGs, I mean, they come from a time where they, like, during the 8-bit and 16-bit days, they were the ones that had a lot of text, and the way that you did that text was through boxes, boxes with words in them. And that heritage is so strong, and those games are so influential that I feel like, in a lot of ways, we're kind of paying service to them. And it, it also drives me nuts where there are so many ways now where you can tell a story in a game. Um, I don't necessarily think one way is right or whatever, but it drives me nuts where I'm, I'm, I've been listening to this JRPG character ramble on for 15 minutes about all this exposition. It's like, you could have just presented this on the journey. You could have like, you could have shown me this rather than, than tell it. Like you don't need to explain how this device works in such great detail. Just let me use the device, use the animation, use the, the world around you. Let me see the effect of it rather than, um, yeah, and that's something that I like about Final Fantasy 15 is like you have 
you have lore behind the the things that you're summoning these giant creatures, but what makes them so impressive and so interesting is you see how they impact the world. You see the devastation that they cause, and I just want to see more of that. But that's enough JRPG rambling. <laughs> Brandon, are we ready to move on? Is there anything else you want? We got quite a ways away from Sundered there in that conversation. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I, I think that, that's all. I, I guess for me, I, I personally, I typically do like start a game intending to finish it yeah you know like uh there's not many times where i'm looking for that out and most of the times that i don't finish games it's it's just because essentially because of my job and like some other game came up that i had to play and so you know like i went five or six months without finishing final fantasy 15 because it's like oh what happened is like oh yeah like zelda came out or something else happened and i just stopped playing it and like Oh, switch is broken. Let me finish Final Fantasy 15 real quick, and it only took me like two hours. That's how close I was to the end. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, it's weird because like these are two games, Hey Pikmin and Sundered. Like, okay, I've I've seen kind of the beginning of this, and I don't know how much farther I actually want to keep doing this when I have so much else I want to play. Sure. Brandon, uh, one of my games I can't play more of because it's not out yet. Uh, one of the games I got on early access. Uh, and one of the games, I think I'm good. You think you're good? I'm, I'm thinking I'm okay. Speaking of dropping it. Um, but maybe I should start with that game uh, to, to continue the trend of okay. games. You're like, nah, all right. I, I, I see what you're selling here. Yeah. Uh, and I think, um, I, I, I do not regret, uh, I think if this is your type of game, you should definitely invest. But uh, that is a game that I streamed this week called Yonder, the Cloud Catcher Chronicles. Um, I didn't catch That's any, a mouthful of a name. I didn't catch any clouds. I don't know when the cloud catching begins. Uh, this is a game about resource management. This is a game about going out into the world and collecting things, doing favors for people, and a little Harvest Moon vibe where you can build your own farm and uh, you can um, go out and find beasts out in the world and give them certain items and they'll follow you back to the farm and then you can uh, milk them or you know they allow them to graze and get supplies that way. Yeah. It doesn't uh, strike me as being that narrative heavy. It, well, it feels more open to do what you want. Yeah. It's so a, that name doesn't match very well to me. The cloud, yeah, the Chronicles in there. I, I definitely thought I was going to be getting you know a cutscene and then walk ten steps sure. and then get another cutscene. But they're they do definitely like just run out into the world and it's not a hard game to learn how to do stuff. The inventory is pretty straightforward and uh, it, it's a game that. Uh, that I think one of the things that made me happiest first going into Yonder was they don't want you to be confused at all. You hit your quest thing, and he holds up a crystal that Shadow of the Colossus points a straight line. Third time we brought up Shadow of the Colossus. does <laughs> uh, a straight line all the way to, like a laser. That's exactly where you're going. Yeah. And uh, while you have that quest thing open, I can see on there what... Uh, items I need, I can then like click a quest to then see that the HUD up constantly. So if I'm going around collecting items, I can see where that is. Um, uh, it, you can, it doesn't necessarily indicate where, exactly where you can find some of the items that you need, but you can see uh, the fog on your map when you like haven't uncovered certain areas. So you can see mm. where you haven't been, and when you unlock points of interest in you know towns where you can buy stuff. From so it's people. just too much information. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, and yeah, and I think when it I got mean, to just... the it, when it got to the busy work point of the game, like yeah. after because we normally stream for two hours, so after two hours, I was like, okay, if I commit, I'm gonna have to maybe break out some pieces of paper and start writing down like a lot of different things that I need to get um, because I don't want to keep like gotta go get this item, go back and turn the quest, go get this item, right. go back and turn the quest. I kind of yeah. want to just start doing big loops around the map and then just gobble up all the items that I can and then like go back in town for the big like cash in um, and. 
it's there's not any there's no combat in the game. I don't know if they add combat later via like some kind of ranged thing you can do, but like you're you're really just going where everybody's happy. Like everything in this world is <laughs> they just don't know where to find things. The animals look very happy. The animals are extremely happy. Uh the the vibes in this game are extremely jolly. The music's very happy. Uh it the the art style is simplistic a little bit more so than uh the breath of the wilds but the lighting is very uh impressive hmm. um the frame rate ran really well and uh you have a lantern at night and it wiggles and so the light loves to just bounce off all, you know everything in the environment um and yeah it's pretty straightforward it's very calm like uh, there were some people it's interesting because it's one of those games where a lot of people in chat that immediately were like ah crap i'm buying this like they 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 you right. could just kind of tell right mm-hmm. away and uh, this is it, it. It is in my wheelhouse, but it is not a game right now. Like you're saying, with everything else happening and trying to take advantage of this time before we hit October, November to like maybe get some other things off my backlog. Done. Yeah, uh, with with how it's does it do that sin where it uh, it explains things that you just don't need explained. Like does it does it have pages of text of like, all right, we're gonna tell you about how to save. Not this no, not too much. In this okay, it, it's, it's not like that. No, it's so straightforward. What you have to do and where you need to go to do it, it just kind of throws you out into the world. Okay, it actually has a very Breath of the Wild moment where you come out of a cave and, <gasps> and you see the world for the first time. And the camera pans back. Yeah, like it's almost identical. Um, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like it is a smaller game. It is a cheaper game than others. You know, so it sure. it. it uh, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't strike me that I this game needs to be a very active, combat-heavy Dragon Quest Builders, Portal Knights, RPG, that uh, this is for the collectors. This is for people that just love to go and explore a world and um, sure. maybe don't play games enough to be good at combat, but still like exploring and still like discovering environments. In a way, though, it's kind of related to your wheelhouse because you like games that end up having a lot of collecting or mm-hmm. a lot of... Like, okay, I'm going to do this task, and then this task is going to feed into that. Um, filling up meters, collecting things, progressing, building stuff. What doesn't this game have that gets you on the hook the way that, that maybe some of those, like, a fantasy life would? Uh, I think maybe it might be, like, my ownership of it. Like, you I can see. customize your character, but there's not... And, and I found some new outfits, but none of them were really, like, driving me crazy at the beginning of the game where it's just like, oh, I can get outfits? Okay, I really want to make this character look cool. Yeah. You have your farm, but like you can't go inside. There's like a door, and I can see there's windows, so it look like, looks like there's an interior, but I can't go in there. So it's like, oh, weird. it's less about like, I'm going to hang out on my farm. Whereas like Builders is all of that. You know, mm-hmm. Builders is like, I'm just going to chill here in my area and watch people go around. I think they're constantly like, go, hey, go over yonder. <laughs> you know, like yeah. just keep exploring. So it's like the world itself is really cozy and it's not just, you know, this one area. And I think when you have a game like Portal Knights or you have something like Minecraft or Dragon Quest Builders where there is a threat, like I definitely feel like a comfort when I'm home, that like my home is kind of like a, a protection sure. or uh, that I need to come back here because it will be attacked or be in, in danger from some way. They, all it does is like the animal, the the... <laughs> Yonder version of the Animal Crossing weeds is poop. If you go back to your farm, there's oh. just little piles of poop all over the place. Yeah. And so it was funny, like, you know, being gone for half an hour and coming back and like, poop! So I had to run around and clean that up. Uh, <laughs> uh, but again, it's 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 so jolly that it wasn't necessary for me. You know, it was like, this is a game where if I was just like really, really stressed and popped it up and didn't want to play something action heavy or something that I needed to play for any right. like, you know, easy allies obligation, but just like, I just want to uh, just relax and have a laser tell me where I need to go and go there and do a thing. Sure. Uh, question for both of you. You mentioned that you're, you're raising a farm yeah. in this game and like Harvest Moon, Stardew Valley, games where you're, you're responsible for this land, you're growing things, you're building things. Uh, those games are 
A, really popular and completely absorbing. Why do you think it is that farming in a video game is enjoyable to so many people who may not have any actual interest in farming? I, th I think the thing for me that's so satisfying, uh, and I'll let you speak in a second, Blood, uh, is... You know, it's one thing to make yourself more powerful in a game that, like, what I have to show for, you know, the last 34 hours is these stats that have made me really powerful. And look, I can go destroy things um, and not to be like a hippie about it. But, like, it, it, it is a different kind of power that, like, I am I have built something up that is then creating even more resources. Yeah. You know, that, like, I can, you know, I can take something from nothing and make it into something. It's almost kind of like crafting also as well, like in, in an MMO. And I remember like in Final Fantasy XI where like I had to go and like to actually to another player and like give that player materials and have them make something. And like the expertise that they had, like the clearly like the work that they put in uh, and the skill that they had developed and then what they could produce out of that was its own weird form of like badassness. You know, that like uh, that to me is on the same level of seeing somebody with like really cool shoulder pads that has a big axe that can go and do a lot of damage. But that, uh, yeah, that's me. What's your a take? A different kind of power. Um, yeah, I think the one that I spent the most time with, where I like really got into it for a long amount of time, was uh, Harvest Moon: A Wonderful Life on GameCube. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I think, uh, yeah, like a lot of it has to do, I think, with with watching things grow and develop, and like, yeah, like seeing these things sort of. You know, like you influence them, but they're they're also kind of going on their own. And it's like okay, it's like you're you're establishing this path of like how these plants are going to grow, how these animals are going to grow. And then I also think uh, there is something to sort of that that routine of it. And like again, like you're talking about with Pikmin, like that sort of planning. Okay, what am I going to do with my day right. to get to this point where I can like make this weird blend of strawberries and tomatoes, this hybrid plant thing, you know, or whatever it is that you've set your mind to that you that you want to accomplish. It's like this is a long term goal and to do that, like I have to figure out like what steps are gonna get me there on my daily routine and I have to do my daily routine every day to keep things going. And sometimes like I think sometimes with uh, Harvest Moon that can feel like kind of therapeutic and really relaxing, whereas I feel like I kind of felt the opposite with, say, The Sims. Like, mm. I felt like those loops were just, like, way too fast. And, like, what? Like, you got to go pee again. Like, come on. Let's finish cooking the dinner right now. Like, I don't right. understand. But, uh, yeah. So, I, I, I kind of, like, I played those games around the same time. And it's, like, I had just very different experiences with how much I really, like, got into each one. This might make me sound like a psycho, but I think part of the reason those things that we maybe wouldn't have interest in in real life is because of the access to information. Like if you were to say, okay, build a farm, take care of animals, grow all these things, there's so much uncertainty. Uh, whereas what I love about video games, and it's not just like farming or building, you can extend this to a bunch of different things, is if I do this to this thing, this is exactly what's gonna happen. Here's the status of this thing. Green means good, yellow means right. it's okay, red means it's bad. And there's just something comforting, I think, about having that information yeah. where you know exactly what you're doing, how it's affecting other people. And I think it's what makes things like, just to use an easy example that pops into the top of my head, right? Like that's that's what's fun about like Persona or games where you are like a school kid because mm. in your own school life, you don't necessarily, <laughs> like you always have those moments where it's like, I wonder how my friends really feel about me or this situation, whereas in those sort of 
like games, you can quantify that. And yeah, there's yeah. there's comfort in that quantification. Well, I also think there's a matter of these, um, and you know, maybe maybe there's some out there that I haven't played um, that are a little bit more punishing. But I feel like they don't have the they don't have that kind of risk that you would have from a real life farm, right? Like you don't right. you don't wake up at four o'clock every morning uh, and you know put backbreaking work in just right. for you to find out that uh, the prices on these things have gone drastically down and you're not going to make any money this year whatsoever and you might lose your farm entirely. You like, know? Yeah. Like, if there's going to be like no rain that year or like if even the land is good, like which you don't, if, yeah. you, if you're building a new farm, like you don't know this, if the soil is going to produce good results until like many, multiple seasons, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Like you can just start over. You can delete your save and, and go on. But there's also, I think, Along those lines, you can experiment the way that you can't with your own life. Like in your own right. life, you have very real pressures, like you were describing, where you have to commit. Whereas that's that is what's so great about video games is you can get it wrong until you get it right, and there's no there's no huge punishment. So, all right, cool. Well, that's yonder. Uh, not super grabbing you. Is there anything else that is yeah, grabbing you? I, I think yeah, I think it should grab you if you look at it and can tell right away. Like, oh, that I think that's my jam, and that's it. That's how I got introduced to it. Yeah. I was at PAX and just saw it in the corner of my eye and just the art style. I was like, ooh, I just saw him running across the field with a lantern. I was like, okay. But you have too many. <laughs> you, you got me. There are too many things competing for Brandon Jones' attention. Definitely, at this time. it's definitely uh, a very pretty game. Yeah. And uh, one thing, uh, a game that I had not. Uh, I don't think I'd heard of, or like when I'd heard of it, I hadn't put two and two together, but uh, it's Oxygen Not Included uh, from Clay Entertainment, which also did Don't Starve. Yeah. And I thought I would love Don't Starve. Speaking of growing things and managing, you know, really being like distracted and managing stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like the principles of Don't Starve. I just didn't get, like, addicted to Don't Starve. And I think one of the things that frustrated me was I can head off in a direction for days and don't starve and not find the thing I need. Yeah. You know, like I can, uh, just from bad luck, you know, a playthrough of mine can go south. And I know that kind of plays into the like Tim Burton-y, like everyone's going to die sometime kind of vibe of don't starve that like right. they, they like to play up. Um, but oxygen not included seems like more at my cup of tea. And uh, it's, it, it has the same like kind of 2D cartoony art style. The characters are extremely impressive, but it's more of like a sci-fi bent. It's not as like fantasy Lovecraftian as Don't Starve is. And uh, do you have you seen this game at all? Do you already no. familiar? Yeah, okay. I don't know what it looks like. This, uh, this is why this room trip has kind of been a treat to me because there's so many games that like I just have to visualize it based on your work. And this right? was there was a table. Uh, there was a series of games uh, by the all the other games booths. So this is like in between Xbox and Capcom and Blizzard and Nintendo. And then here's like eight big screens with like you know four of the games I had never heard of before. And one of them was Oxygen Not Included. I'm like I think I remember hearing that title. But it is uh, side-scrolling, I guess, like, not necessarily Metroidvania-ish because there's not, like, a, a, a story. Like, I'm not trying to, like, save, like, the world tree or anything. Like, I'm just excavating this cave uh, with people. So it, like, kind of reminds me of, kind of scratches the itch from uh, SteamWorld Dig a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. But what's uh, fun about it is basically, like, imagine SteamWorld Dig, but you're not controlling that character. You are just giving that person commands. Hmm. So I have three scientists that are in this base, and uh, the title comes into play because I have to make the areas breathable if they're really going to, like, explore, like, more into the cave. And I can give them commands like sweep, which picks up items off the ground, or dig, which, like, they use lasers to actually, like, knock parts of the cave wall down. And then, uh, uh, basically, like, block by block, gridding out the map, I give them commands. 
So if I'm like, hey, I want to build a cave down there, I'm literally going to map up the entire cave. And then I'm like, okay. And the two of the guys go and start working on it. And then I'm like, okay, and I want that person to go and build this thing over here. And then after you're done building that, do this. Wait a minute. Swap the priority of those two things. Build that first, then build that. So this, is, then, a, this is a broad comparison, but would you say it's kind of like Fallout Shelter in a way? A little bit. Fallout Shelter seems more... Uh, towards the specific types of rooms that you can build where it's a lot more like don't starve where like they have the weird kind of shaped uh like you know like a, a certain desk that you got to build and then once that desk is built now that allows you to build other kinds of types of things they tell you to build like an house, a house right away they're like these things these people have to go to the bathroom <laughs> and then uh as you level up you can get even more people in there and assign them to do more things a big thing about don't starve is how obtuse building some of those things can be uh, how difficult it is to figure out what you need and then where to get that stuff. Is that kind of the process here? Do they point you more in the direction where you need to build this thing? This is kind of where you get... The first 18 steps or so were very clear. And then okay. that 19th one got me. I, I think okay. it's like a 15-minute demo. And yeah, I had like three or four minutes left. And I was like, I don't know how to do what you want. I think it was when power distribution. I think when mm. it started to get into that. Sure. Where I built a couple of things. And they're like, it doesn't have power. And I was like, okay. And so I like built a generator and then they're like you got to connect them and I connected them and they're like it doesn't have power and I'm like I don't know what's going on they're like I don't have I got bad reception I, yeah. here at Comic so I can't like look it up and like I think I ran into some similar troubles with Fallout 4 and yep. like, yeah I definitely did <laughs> but it's uh, uh, in early access right now uh, you can I believe it's 25 bucks or 24 bucks uh, mm. to buy into early access uh, they very much indicate they're like this game is we're still working on this so you're going to have bugs and we're going to be making updates to it and changes um, and so but uh, the reason why those 18 steps were clear is if you go into any of the menus of the resources that you need it'll be a very clear like red text where it's like you can't you don't have power and then if you mouse over that it'll be like to get power build this and if you build that and have an issue then you can see a more like concerning red text that'll let you know like some error but uh the big thing that i like about oxygen included that i don't think don't starve needs but was a thing that uh was frustrated me or, or kind of pulled me out of don't starve is it's got a pause button which is just like uh, it's like you're saying with like rpgs mm. yeah where it's like i can just say stop and then like zoom out and look at everything and then zoom back in and be like, okay, when you wake up, okay, do this now, do that. Um, that uh, it'll be fun. Uh, it looks like a game where you're supposed to restart and try, you know, tr start over and try to, just like Don't Starve and like try to get as many resources as you can. And I'm looking forward when I get to the point where just looking at a certain vein, I can see like, oh, that's copper. Oh, that's that. So even just at the very beginning, it's like, okay, I want to like get a ladder up there and start mining there because that'll, you know, just like in Minecraft when you would like see a block after... 10 or 15 hours of play where you're like, oh, that's coal. I can identify yep. that right away. Um, and yeah, it looks like a really interesting strategy game. I'm looking forward to getting better at it and uh, getting getting the most out of... Uh, out of and, and from the gameplay trailer that I watched on Steam, there were a lot of... I'm like, I don't know why you would dig straight into a big pile of water and have water just like... like It's very clearly water right there. Like, I don't know why sure. you'd make that mistake. But it's kind of fun to see them freak out and like... Or like run out of oxygen and like, you know, suffocate. Were you playing this on a PC? On a PC, yeah. Okay. And it's, I believe it's just on Steam for okay. right now. Uh, was it pretty easy to... Because in, in a game like this, where building things and keeping people alive and managing all that stuff, like was it was the interface clean? Was it easy to access things? Was it easy to understand? When yep. you were like, were like, where is this? You knew exactly how to get there? I played on a, on a big screen, so I had a lot of you know real estate there. So like, right. if you're playing on a smaller monitor, it might be kind of tough like to read things, or I don't sure. know how much you can modify the HUD uh, because it, it fit on the, the monitor that I, I just downloaded it immediately when I got back and played it for like five minutes just to get it up and running. 
Um, but uh, I love that about conventions, just actually not, there wasn't a trailer, I didn't get an email from somebody to tell me to check something out, I literally just looked at a television and was like, what's that? And I had to like, <laughs> and the names were actually kind of tricky to, to find, and I was like, Oxygen Unincluded, okay. Yeah. And then found out, oh, it's the Don't Starve People, and like, I, sh- I think I should have heard about this game, but I think because it's an early access, they're like, we're, there's a lot of moving pieces to this, and we want to make sure everything is balanced and fun, you know, before we maybe start doing a big marketing push. But if you're curious, check it out, that's your type of game. It sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, this very much seems like if any but if any easy ally was gonna play this, it would be Brandon Jones, and that would be Marvel Powers. Yes, Marvel Powers United VR. Oh, okay, yeah. Which is exclusive to the Oculus, Not which is a bummer because that's the one VR system I don't have, and seems actually very custom built for the Oculus controller. I was like, ooh, I don't know if you couldn't... This wouldn't be as fun if I was on the Vive controller or if I was on the uh, PSVR controllers, maybe with the PS4 controller. Um, but, the, yeah, you could be uh, Rocket Raccoon or Hulk or uh, Captain Marvel or Deadpool. Question. And, yes. Did you pick Rocket Raccoon? No. Okay. Never mind, then. Was that the it, wrong choice? No. I was just going to ask, is if when you pick Rocket Raccoon, is everything, like, yeah. are you... Uh-huh. Yeah, you're, 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 you're shorter. <laughs> and Hulk, you're bigger. Nice. Uh, and Captain Marvel could fly, which uh, was cool. I was like, oh, maybe I should have picked Captain Marvel because she could fly around. But I don't know in VR, like, how that controls. Um, My dreams are coming true. But uh, play Deadpool. Yeah. And uh, asked right away. He was like, who do you want to be? I was like, Deadpool. And he was like, okay, well, wait. Wait until you select your character because the last person to go, okay, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, that person automatically gets to be Deadpool. And so uh, waited and jumped in, and there is a little bit of awkward VRness to some of the animation because, like, Hulk's arms are literally this this dude's arms. So there's a little bit of like wobbliness depending on like where he's facing and where like his arms are going. But at the same time, if you're Hulk, you can just pick people up and then, like <laughs> swing them. Yeah. So it's just neat, like seeing in VR have him just like just, just cup a guy's head and just like seeing his legs dangle and he just like throws them across the room. Is it is it just like violent screams the whole time? Uh, yeah, it's it's basically just like playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance, a very very streamlined Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Sure. In VR, you know, like mm-hmm. just moving room to room, and um, and as we started to get to the end, I don't know if Hulk was strategizing with me because we could all, you know, we couldn't talk to each other, um, but I, we were definitely letting him go in first, you know, and have everybody like draw fire, and then like being arranged characters, Deadpool. I, pr- I primarily did uh, my uh, dual Uzis, um, but uh, you know, just kind of like you know putting enemies between me and Hulk so he would absorb all the damage and I could just kind of peek around. Uh, wasn't very difficult, though. We fought Ronin at the end from Guardians of the Galaxy, and he went down pretty quick. And so I'd be curious to get some friends in there that not only enjoyed the game but played as characters that they liked, characters that were varied, and, like, maybe up that difficulty. I'd be curious yeah. to, like, play, like, a tricky version of that because we were just, like, Rah. especially because we were, like, you know, when you have Rocket and Deadpool and Hulk in there, like Captain Marvel, personality-wise, is like a little more centered. But those are three very over-the-top, right? You know, shoot first, ask questions later type of characters. I, I have nothing but the utmost sympathy for VR developers because they not only have to make a game that is interesting and challenging and fun, but they also have to be like, okay, this is interesting and fun and challenging on its own. Is it going to be fun, and interesting, and challenging to somebody who has no idea how to use this technology? Yeah, like it's just. You cannot assume anything. Like, how is this going to make this person feel or whatever? And so it being easy doesn't surprise me. Uh, yeah, and, and for yeah, the demo purposes. Right. Yeah, but uh, for the final version, yeah, I'm curious if you can crank that up. But 
movement was very smooth. So uh, there were a couple of things about this game that were specific to the Oculus controller that, I'm, again, I'm curious how it's going to translate to other VR systems if it eventually becomes uh, not exclusive to Oculus. And one of them was the, they both have analog sticks. And so I could, like, move Deadpool just with this analog stick. And I was nervous, like, oh, I don't know if that'll make me queasy or not. And, like, not at all. I nice. loved it. I was nice. so just hold up one machine gun and just, like, circle around people. And... Um, uh, you can also teleport, and what's cool about Deadpool, and I don't know specifically how that works with the other characters, is, is if I teleported and you can see the icon, he would just be like standing there if I'm like, I'm going to go over there, but if it was close enough to an enemy, you'd see him like do a little kick, and so I could teleport over to somebody and kick him and like knock him back right out of the teleport. Um, and then the Oculus has two triggers, and I don't know if this is the way like all shooters work, like something like super hot on Oculus, I don't know if it works this way specifically, but... There's the middle finger and the uh, your uh, index finger. Index finger fires, middle finger grabs. So to actually hold on to your machine guns, you have to have that middle finger down the whole time. So if you drop them, he'll drop the guns, which wasn't annoying to me. I never like did that accidentally, but it kind of made me feel like a badass. Yeah. To like after I was done, hold out the machine guns, drop them in front of me, then reach behind, grab the katanas, pull those out, and then attack somebody with that, and then like throw the katanas, reach to my waist to pull the machine guns out again. Are you fire fighting? Independently. Because you mentioned Marvel vs. Alliance, are you fighting a lot of enemies at once? Yeah, and they're okay. on, and they're all over the place. So mm. there's like coming in from roof, like from ceiling, and from under the floor. And so next question. Yeah. With this being a VR game and you fighting a bunch of enemies at once and being a superhero and doing all these crazy things, was the was the performance consistent? Yeah. Okay. Uh, like I said, there was just movement it was a little sure. janky. So like, uh, I think when when the when it was action heavy, it looked like Marvel characters fighting, and when we were all like in the elevator together, like hey, you know, like, it really silly. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that it surprised me the most was movement. I think when I first saw it, it seemed kind of like just a bunch of boss fights. You know, it kind of seemed like oh, we're in an arena and stuff's happening, but like actually moving into areas and getting in elevators and seeing like vistas and and like I don't know if. Uh, the again we fought Ronan so I don't know if the character the villains that we were the the fodder that we were taking out I don't know if that was also Guardians related or if we were in a Guardians uh, complex or how important the story really is so if you're sure. like oh I'm curious to see the campaign or who the leads are in this story or like what the you know um, how is this ties into the comics this is literally just like I'm Hulk and like for just being that I I, I was impressed I actually I, I came out of it uh, enjoying it a little more than I thought I would. Um, and Deadpool was being smarmy the whole time, had a couple fun fun lines. At the end, when the screen came up for everybody scored, he was like, thanks for taking my kills, everybody. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So like the, he had some attitude there. Uh, didn't hear anyone else, though, which I thought was, was kind of a bummer. Like, sure. If they had one line, like I, didn't, I think we, you could only just hear yourself. Okay. But, you know, it's, it's not out yet, so I don't know if that was just for, for demo purposes. But I uh, was surprised with that uh, Marvel VR there. Cool. So good job. I am bummed that it is only coming to Oculus because I don't have one. Me too. Yeah. But uh, hopefully, yeah. Blood, this it'll, is, it'll make the switch. This is, <laughs> this is a softball question, but I am really curious. Sure. Uh, you might be one of the only allies where I don't know your favorite Marvel superhero. Uh, I don't think it's something I think about that often. It's <laughs> a personal question. I'm going to put you on the spot. It could be, it could be superhero or organization of superheroes. Well, um, on the spot, out of nowhere. Yeah. Um... I don't know, maybe Storm, I don't know. Ooh. That is a really cool answer. <laughs> that is a very cool answer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Storm is very cool. Yeah. Storm <laughs> is very cool, like Daniel Bloodworth. Uh, why Storm? Uh, I grew up in Florida. A lot of lightning? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, why is Storm your favorite superhero? I grew Come up in Florida. Florida. 
I'm <laughs> never going to forget that. Okay. Brandon, you have one more game on here that I was like, please talk about Oh, this. right, yes. Please talk about this because sure. I want to know everything So this about is it. the Ben conversation. Uh, yeah. You can also get the Huber conversation in uh, the, uh, the Wolfenstein, the new Colossus preview that we just put up uh, that you can find on youtube.com slash easy allies uh, so but I will skip the part that you've already heard because you know for the stuff for me three yeah so we, whoop, we can just skip right past that mm-hmm. um, so the part that I played there were two very distinct sections uh, with a cutscene in between one was the street that you have seen from the trailers yeah uh, which I found out is in New Mexico just outside of Roswell okay and uh, the second part was me getting aboard a train and taking that train to one of the uh I think it was Area 52 to one of those like secret underground bases uh, and uh, fulfilling a quest at the end of that train and, and fighting a big boss at the end. But uh, the city was really great. Uh, it was neat to see. Cause, and and Hubert and I were tr- uh, trying to recall if there's not many like normal places where, gr- granted, I'm like a spy, so like I'm not supposed to be here. So I'm like pretending that I'm like, yeah, Nazis, I'm cool with all of this. But like right. I don't remember a lot of that in the first Wolfenstein in New Order. Um, you'd see like uh, hub areas. People live here normally. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of that. There were a lot of quiet moments. Like, okay, I'm at the prison. I'm just talking to this guy at the prison, or I'm on the train talking to this person on the train. Um, and the way that it used those pauses, I guess the 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 normal area is sort of that hidden base that you're in yeah. with everybody. That's the most normal area. But in... the, that's the, like the rebellion, basically. That's right. you and all these like resistance right. fighters. Exactly. And so it's kind of your own version of normal. Right. And so exactly. uh, one interesting scene was, uh, you know, Strawberry Milkshake Man. Yes. So I get it. I, w- I walk into that diner and uh, before Milkshake Man comes in, there is a mother and her son and she's asking him what he did at school and uh, he's he's just kind of like not really into it. He's like, I don't want to learn German. Like, I don't really care about this type of history. Yeah. And she's like, you have to learn that. It's very important. You know, like I mm. kind of and it kind of you can sense in her voice like I don't like it either. <laughs> but like you have to do that. And when the soldier comes in, she ordered uh, a couple cheeseburgers and something. And when this Nazi comes in, she's like, oh, we'll get food someplace else and leaves. And so it was interesting getting the vibe of this person that's you know obviously not a soldier like Blaskowitz you know but uh, is not a, is not going to fight the resistance you know is not going to fight this regime uh, but certainly doesn't enjoy it and uh, isn't happy about it and is trying to be very careful like I imagine just that person in Westeros that's like I'll go to another restaurant it's fine <laughs> like, I'll, I don't need right. to be here when the hound is fighting somebody I'm out uh, and so just getting that those little tiny uh, walks of life in this new crazy world where they're they're at like a Nazi parade clapping and there's you know swastikas everywhere and uh, the Ku Klux Klan is like learning how to speak German. It's mm. just it's a very interesting lots of interesting flavor. Just non cutscene, just in the world. Go up, listen to the conversation they're having, read the poster. Um, so love that kind of world building and loved it in the first game. Yeah, uh, I mean we're talking about that Rebellion HQ, like going into the different rooms and seeing how yeah. each person had the room arranged. You got a lot of sense of who they were um, and. In this, since you're kind of in a in a bigger, more open area, uh, do you feel like you can just sort of hear conversations that are going on and get a sense of the world? Like, are those interesting, or is it is it a lot of no? You have to be here at this specific moment to in order to, to get that stuff. Uh, no, it seemed like uh, like they were contextual. So if I like got near, then that interesting conversation would pop up, or um, and uh, 
and they hinted at, I think it was just because for, for demo purposes, they're like, we don't want to, that's not the type of demo we're trying to show off today. Right. But it sounds like in the full game, you might be able to just pull out a gun and start shooting people on that street. I see. And that, you know, all of the uh, the NPCs would react accordingly. Mm-hmm. And so it'd be interesting to see, yeah, kind of uh, get, getting more out into the world, not only, you know, being in the, the United States, which we weren't before, but um, uh, just... So them them taking this concept to so many other levels and you seeing like how it has affected the world because that that to me is like the greatest payoff of this concept is how you know uh we we see how the soldiers would fight and how they would react and what they need to do to to normalize things but uh what, what are the struggles of just the average american the average european it's just like gotta go to work gotta deal try try to make a life happen in this just crazy upside down world yeah uh having played through uh new order again recently it's it's been said many times, but they don't make shooters like that anymore. They don't make shooters where you it's it's they create you you get a whole world. You get like when you play through Call of Duty or something, mm-hmm. you have objectives. You don't really have a world. It's like this, you're a lone wolf. Yeah, this this level that you're crawling through yeah. exists because you need to accomplish this thing. You wouldn't be here were it not to do this thing, and that was what is so great about Wolfenstein. And even just, like, one of the most powerful scenes for me is early on, whereas BJ, you're at this asylum, and you're seeing time pass, and you're mm-hmm. seeing these people, um, and just those... You you realize, like, you care so much about what you're fighting for because the game takes a look back, and it says, it, you're not the most important thing here. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you just... Even, like, Huber talks about it all the time, but that beginning scene with Half-Life, you know, some people now say, oh, that's too slow, I don't want to be a scientist, but it's like, no, you need that to see how bad well, we were, fucked up everything. We When we were talking about the mundaneness, like, whether right. that's required or not, like, how many hours should it take for me to get into something like that, I thought of Half-Life, you know, as, 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 as setting that up, both Half-Life two, 1 and 2, yeah. of just kind of having these very, like seemingly normal openings you know but like when it does when the you know the shit does hit the fan like then it's really impactful yeah and, and i think it's easy though to take things in new order and call them mundane but but none of it was mundane i mean mm-hmm. like new order would always have those great like you'd be at a prison but it's like okay here's a prison with a giant mech walking around yeah like there was always be something some visual cue that would very keenly remind you how unsettling this so was. the last part of this game this demo was very much not mundane uh this is me going through a train and uh picking up laser guns off of giant yeah. enemies and using them to <laughs> melt other nazis and uh it's got that awesome shotgun actually the hallway that we saw from that trailer that we thought was so great was just like headshot 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 yeah uh and um one control thing that i picked up that unfortunately man when i was cutting the preview i was like i don't know when i stumbled across that thing in the buttons i couldn't find it but uh you can actually pick what you want to have in each hand. So your uh, your the weapon that you're using, uh, your left hand and your right hand are separate. So you can like actually like bring up your left hand and be like pistol, and bring up your right hand and be like, you know, automatic or shotgun or something, and then just go in with those with one, huh. you know one trigger controlling either hand. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was interesting. I, I I didn't mess around with it because I'm like I'm got the shotgun. I'm good. A lot of the weapons that I had were two handed, so I'm like I'm I'm fine with just using this. Okay, I, I feel like you kind of just answered this question already, but I, one of my criticisms of New Order is they give you all of these different ways to play, and part of that was through the perk system, mm-hmm. where it's like, do this to get this new ability, and it's like, I, doing that is not fun. I don't want to do that. And I, like, Huber brought up the same exact yeah. point, yeah. Huh. And uh, didn't necessarily get into that, because it was just one level, so like, didn't sure. necessarily see like, the progression of that. Okay, so you don't know if a system like that is returning? I don't know, yeah. Okay. 
Um, and yeah, those those two guns were just stuff that I picked up and found in the game, and yeah. uh, I was not leveling anything up. But uh, how did that shotgun feel? Like every weapon in New Order felt great to me. It feels super good. Okay. The only thing that was frustrating was I ran out of ammo. I finally got to like the last part, oh. and if I had. Uh, you know, all the time in the world, if I was just reviewing the game or just staying up late and just like, oh, I don't feel like sleeping, I'll play this game for another hour, uh, then I wouldn't have been, uh, it wouldn't frustrate me, but I'm at this demo, I'm on borrowed time, you know, like other people are coming in for the 11.30 session, I gotta wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, and so I was kind of hustling through some areas and getting a little frustrated because I'm like rapidly searching under, you know, bed sheets and stuff, like I just gotta be shotgun shells in here somewhere. Um, and so uh, that got a little frustrating near the end, but it was difficult. And Huber said he played the E3 demo normal and i played both of the demos at e3 and this uh one click below normal okay uh and it was still it was still tricky i had to run by the giant robot that came in at the end just to get the last cutscene, just to like uh see how the whole thing wrapped up uh on this train was there any chance of you getting through with stealth did you or is it like no i have to blast my way through here sure uh, definitely in the beginning okay. uh definitely when you when i when i first boarded the train and i popped up they hadn't seen me yet and uh um yeah, and there were definitely parts. I remember there's one like underground part in one of the compartments of the train where there were three guys in there, and I managed to take all three out before yeah. somebody had spotted me. Um, and certainly, uh, because you're saying like they don't make shooters like that anymore, like it does feel like an old school shooter, and so uh, there's less of um, it's, it's a little bit more predictable. But to me, in a good way, if there's like a, a big sizable offensive that's going to be coming at me, that like I can maybe do a little more exploration and find like oh, there's a whole crate of grenades right here. Okay, I know those yeah. eight guys are just in that hallway waiting for me, so maybe I'll. With the grenades, in there or make sure I have the right gun by the time I get to that point. Um, it's a different it's a different type of shooter, but I, I dig yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, do you still have to manually select the grenades and then throw them, or is there a now a grenade button or any any sort of streamlined stuff like that? Uh, I, I think the biggest streamlined thing, uh, like I said, was it choosing, choosing your, your weapon like for different weapons. hands okay. because. Uh, one thing I remember from the early game is that if you wanted to dual wield, it was just another part of that big yes, wheel. Yes, it was. And that wheel for me was so big yep. that like the difference between two guns was very small. Yep. And so a lot of times I would try to go for one gun, and that was the the grand Far Cry Four New Order debate. And one of the things I liked in, in Far Cry was that it was just north, south, east, west. So if like I like I wouldn't even have to look at that wheel, and I knew exactly what weapon was I was going to get. Where there was a little bit of a four or five second delay of like wait, okay, there we go. And in that crazy game where you're just like people flying you know and from all over the place uh sometimes like i would die in that moment where i would like or it would uh slow me down or um add difficulty to a system that maybe didn't need it and so because you can there, there's no longer like do you want the shotgun or two shotguns like the wheel's not that big uh it um there were less less room for error in actually selecting memorizing where that corner of the circle that gun is and getting to it quicker a conversation that I got into with somebody is they were worried about sort of like tripping out on drugs and that, that it might be it might be the, the humor which was present in New Order might be a little bit hokier here. Um, and I thought about it and I was like, they're, they're kind of right. Like there is very dark humor um, and there's there's definitely some very intentional goofiness to mm -hmm. New Order. But all of that is kind of seated in this is a terrible thing happening. Uh, was there? Did you get any sense of the humor there? Were there, were there people telling jokes, or Definitely. did it feel different from New Order? The guy that gets you into Area Fifty Two is a conspiracy theorist. I see. And so uh, there's kind of a funny scene of, of him being like, "I mean, I'm not. I don't know if it's aliens, but it's probably aliens." And Blaskowitz okay. is like, "I have 100% confirmation it is not aliens." And he's like, "Why well, are you sure?" <laughs> and like, I think I think what they did 
uh, what they do a good job of in that game is knowing what characters are funny and what characters aren't. And okay. when funny characters can be serious and how to make that poignant and you know, vice versa. And so going to meet this conspiracy theorist, when I was talking to Huber about it, he started laughing and like he knew right away. Like he'd played New Order. And so if I tell him like I'm in Roswell, there's a guy who believes in UFOs. You kind of picture him like he's got an office beside, behind his diner. Sure. You can kind of see it in your head. Um, but... The scene going into this, where I meet uh, the gal with the fro and like some other people from the first game you might recognize, uh, that was seen was very serious and very, uh, very much kind of setting the tone for like how this new group would work. You can, I, I don't know if like the base we were in was part of the new hub or how that's gonna how that system's gonna work in the new game. But when you when you uh, from the demo from E three when you bump into Anya, very serious, you know, and I think they do a good job of. Like I said, like like having them, if they do have humor, make it feel true to the character. Um, you have the one guy with like the learning disability whose like head is like you know yeah. s- like knocked in. Um, that like he's not really like funny. He's kind of heartwarming. It's 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 a tricky balance, but I think they have enough characters hmm. uh, for each kind of slice of life. They're not shoving it into areas that it's not forced. Yeah, sure. And uh, like if they do it smartly, like they did in New Order, if you want that comic relief, if you're interested in engaging with those characters, then go into their room and start talking to sure. them. You know, like add them to your experience. But if you're like, I hate that guy, then you can skip him. It's not that important. Blood, have you played New Order? I haven't played it yet, no. Please. <laughs> please play it. <laughs> it's so good. All of you, please play it. Uh, Blood, you have played something that I am ready to talk about. Have, Ooh. And I'm, I don't know if you've played it or not, Brandon, so I guess we'll find out. But uh, I have been, more than I thought, I knew I was going to like it, but adoring Splatoon 2. I really like it uh, a lot. And Blood, I know that you're reviewing it and that you've played more than I have. But it's it's hard to describe, I think, why I'm liking Splatoon 2 a lot more than Splatoon 1. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of subtle differences that I probably right. personally like don't even know the answers to. Although um, I know when, uh, even when, uh, when the previews went up, somebody did like a side-by-side of just like, character models and animation things and there was so much more there than i realized because like yeah. you know just looking at it going, it's like, yeah, it looks like the same game whatever it's like it's like no not actually they've done a lot more to like really bring those characters to life than than you immediately recognize yeah that's it it's, it's a hard thing to put into words but like this part of what made splatoon so successful is its vibe and that vibe is just cashed in on even more in Splatoon 2. Uh, just walking around Inkopolis. Uh, it's a place where... I, I can't remember the last time a game has crippled me so much where I like the style of the clothes so much, but I also really care about the stats. And mm-hmm. I will be schizophrenic about which one I want more. Where it's like, well, I'm not going to care about stats. I just want to look as cool as possible. And you can you can scrub the stats and, and yeah. re-roll for new abilities and stuff. But I find myself constantly bouncing between, like, I just want to look cool or I'll go into a match and lose and be like, no, I just... I need to look less cool for the stats. And to me, that's the mark of good aesthetic design where I am making that decision, where I'm not just like yeah. the stats are the, the like getting that quicker respawn or having your ink be saved a little bit matters enough that I'm thinking about it. But also, gosh, I just want to look fresh too. <laughs> so, uh, 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 have you seen the, so the one that I used on the stream, the bowling outfit? No, I it's haven't. Pretty, it's pretty great. Like, you got these red leather shoes, like these smoky wingtips or something like that. And then like an actual bowling outfit. Like you can even like rotate the character and look at his back and like see like 
it, like some kind of octarian like rolling through a couple of pins um and then i've got the aviator sunglasses on oh and the the shirt comes with like the one glove the bowling glove uh so it just it was a great looking outfit and, and so character. it's been really i need to see your character it's been really hard to you know to like go back and like yeah but these, these other shoes i had these sneakers had like really good stats um and then like also keeping in mind that like I want to I want to see more options and like you know you you've got to use items to unlock abilities because mm-hmm. uh, you've got the main but then you've got you know the one to three sub abilities that are there that are just question marks until you start using them and get those dice rolls. Uh, I love 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 <laughs> that you can just walk up to people, and I mean you can do this in Splatoon one yeah. as well, but that you can just order their gear, yeah, and it becomes. This this almost like game of jealousy where it's like well I have to have that and yeah. like well you see people with like the crazy like robot suits and then the samurai helmets and things I'm like where did where did that come from I haven't seen that yet yeah right and just talking about the, the Inkopolis this area that you're walking around in it's not big it's it's very no. very small yeah but because you can do these things like walk around and check out people's gear uh you want to do that you want to like go and and see the different shops and it's compact enough that that's not a pain in the butt to do uh but there's enough within it that it's interesting and it's like it it doesn't become a chore um but you can also if you're sick of that you just open a menu and get into the lobby right away and again a a lot of this stuff is in splatoon one but just the consideration of the design like i I haven't had to wait at all to get into a match. Like I'm in the lobby, right. I, it's filled up. I'm doing a match. That match is three minutes long. I, if I want to continue, I can immediately get into the next match. Do that, and there's just there's just a flow. Like they've they've grinded it down into such a point where it's you can be in for as much or as little as you want to, and it's fun either way. Yeah, and that's that's super great. But I think what well, makes... I think that, but see, I think with that, I think that's where this, this balance comes in with some of these choices that seem weird when you don't consider that speed. Right. Is it's it feels weird that at, for any two given hours you can only play on two maps on a mode. Yeah. And it feels weird that when you're in a lobby waiting for the match to start, you can't change weapons. But I think both of those are for exactly that reason. Right, to just Just, speed things up. Just jump straight into a match just to have eight people always grouped up so that all it takes is getting like, okay, three or four more people to pop in, there you go. Like, they're going to be on this map. And the addition of something like Salmon Run, I think alleviates some of those things that bothered me a little bit in Splatoon 1 where mm. you would also have the rotation of maps and I would get I would get sick of a map before it was ready to rotate but now just like just because of this extra mode I find myself bouncing around between okay I'm going to do regular battles and then I'm going to do rank battles and then I'm going to do a little bit of salmon run and then I'm going to do story mode and just having salmon run there and I think it being as good as it is and having it, like the way that it's structured um makes it so I feel like in Splatoon 2 I have a lot to do and I'm enjoying all of it. And it that's that's so essential in a game like this uh, where every component of it is interesting. Like, I doing all of the different rank modes, I li- like I like all of them. I want to do all of them. I'm okay with them rotating because they're all fun. Um, and with Salmon Run, like, what do you think of Salmon Run? Before I go into... No, I think, I think Salmon Run is great. I think the one thing that is really... that I haven't, like, 
put a pin on why it's happening is why Salmon Run is restricted to these these schedules. Yes. That's like why it's okay, this day is like five AM to five PM and then tomorrow there's eleven PM to eleven AM and like why isn't it just there all the time exactly? Like I know that they have daily bonuses that change up and I know that every time they start a new session they're like you're on a different map with a different selection of weapons and so every day is gonna be a little bit different. Right. But I don't understand why there are times where you just you just can't play it. It's just not there. Doors closed. I think they're just they're trying to do this thing where it's like you can the daily bonuses like you said or it's like this is this month's gear. They're trying to make it feel special and I think that's okay, but I doesn't one the times don't make any sense at all. <laughs> like it's not it's not I, I'm always wondering to myself, like, okay, why why can't I play it now? What was the time again exactly? And I think if I have to have that question with your mode, you're doing something wrong. Right. Like, they do have a simple way on the menu to, like, always see is, like, okay, this is now, this is soon, this is coming right. up. Like, you can see mo- almost a whole week in advance of when it's going to be active. It's just still, it's just weird that there's downtime. Yeah, but I think that's the thing is, like, I, I can't figure out why exactly... It is that time. Like, what? What do you right. gain by doing that? And they have they have the Splatfest. Like, they have those special events where it makes the mode feel bigger than it is. But they never take away that mode. Like, you can still do that stuff. They just sort of incentivize you uh, with this sort of special event. And I think they could have done that with Salmon Run, where they could have had times where Salmon Run was like you got maybe more from it. Like, mm-hmm. you got like some sort of additional bonus but always have that mode there it it just feels like such a big part of splatoon 2 why not do it um but i think the progression within salmon run is pretty good uh i the way that it works is you are an employee of this corporation and when you complete a run if you're successful you'll your meter will fill up it's sort of like an experience meter and you'll get paid more um, but then if you fail, you did a bad job and so you'll get paid less. And so because you're trying to like get these points to get these daily bonuses, you want to do well um, so you can get those bonuses faster. And it also like the higher up you are on the pay grade, the more difficult it's getting. Yeah. And so and what's crazy is it's not just that it's more difficult, which that's what I was thinking. It's like, oh, OK, they're just going to add in more whatever. Yeah. But but it like quickly is like, OK, there's an enemy I've never seen before. Oh, the tide is changing oh it's dark oh it's foggy like just all of these other variables that just getting mixed in there uh that you aren't really expecting that like makes the fact that there's only one map available for 12 hours actually not that big of a deal because you never really know what to expect uh which is something that i feel uh is playing out better online than when we did it locally when we were doing it locally and we're like we're setting the difficulty level or whatever it was odd because it felt like Every time we played, it was the exact same thing. Whereas when I play online, it's like, I don't know what to expect online. It, it's changing up every time I play. Smart. Um, the, <laughs> the duelies are awesome. They All are. All of the weapons. It's a really good go-to weapon, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just, there's still something, I think like Turf War, I remember when I was first reviewing Splatoon 1, I was mad that I was getting a lot of kills, but we were still losing. It was mm-hmm. something that I couldn't wrap my head around. It was like, I I haven't... When I was first encountering Splatoon, it, it just felt wrong to me that like I would individually be doing very well, but we would still be getting crushed. And now I see it, 
and you just have to think a different way. And I get mad, and this is a common thing people are saying online, but it's so true, where you lose by a percentage and it's because you didn't ink your spawn. You're trying to cover <laughs> as much ground as possible and you didn't take that free territory. Um, and like, there are so many weapons I will pick now and it's like, I know I'm not gonna get any kills with this, but it's really good on this map in this situation. Right. Uh, and like all of this stuff you can say about Splatoon 1, but I think it's, it's credit to how inventive that initial idea was that it's like, there's, there's nothing like this. Like this is this is so much fun thinking about like, oh, okay, I can use this ink to get up this wall and then shoot this guy. Like, it and that on top of the speed in which it happens is fantastic. It's su- it's super unfair, but I think that learning curve is maybe why I'm not like, you know, going hog wild with Splatoon mm-hmm. because I, I played the first game enough to realize like. I'm gonna have to play this a little bit more to get really good at this, you know, to yeah. really get that movement down to where, like, you know, I, uh, yeah, I would just get out of control whenever I would like drop into squid mode and slide around and just like actually like going down and hopping back up and like aiming and then you know uh, uh, making sure you have the, the real estate to move where you want to, you yeah. know, that enough of the floor is covered. Um, and uh, that's just that's completely on me. It's not because like I don't think the game is good. It's just because like I don't know if I have the energy in me yeah. to invest in this versus another game I might want to invest in. But I played it up until that point. It is overwhelming. Um, it's a lot. And I, I think many systems to it, like you said, that are totally different. So it's not me just like oh I got to get good at fighting games. It's like I got to learn what's going on here because right. there's a whole it's it's a, yeah. Well, I felt it's, the, it's its own system for me that like the, probably the, the hardest thing to kind of crack through is like with all the gear abilities. Yes. You know, like putting on clothes and like what the heck good does that do me and how much do I have to account for it and really I think you re- you don't need to worry about it that much it's 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 when you start to recognize that like oh okay like that would help me in this situation then I can gravitate towards those things so I, I as a, a, a beginner I really don't think it makes a like a huge amount of difference um, in, in what you're doing it's more of like as you identify your play style as you know what kind of weapons you like then you can start adapting the gear abilities to those those kinds of things. Um, you were talking about just wanting to learn it, mm-hmm. and I think something that I that I like as a returning Splatoon player in Splatoon Two is how they've changed special weapons, um, because I think a lot of the new ones are very 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 exciting. I think, but the, be, you get them really quickly because you're building up this meter when you're inking territory, like when you teams first encounter each other, they all have their specials ready because they've just inked their own territory and it's built up really quick. And you have like somebody on a jetpack blasting ink at you. You have somebody that's throwing clusters of bombs at you. Um, you have rockets that are like homing in on you. You have to get out of the way. Yeah. And so I think as a new player, um, I see a lot of people not getting out of the way of rockets. I see a lot of people like getting inked by the jet people because they just don't know, and it is very powerful. Uh, but I think I like personally how much more exciting those weapons are, and it feels like more of a moment when I'm getting these things. Even something like ink armor, uh, because it affects the whole team, yeah. because when you put it on, your whole team is taking more hits. Like All of those that, that stuff feels really good to do, and I think that's important. I think uh, one of the ones that's really great, uh, and, and that's one of the things I've been learning too, is is how different weapons and abilities uh, complement the different game modes. Yes. And so uh, with Rainmaker, 
just to kind of establish like what it is. Because when I first started playing Rainmaker, I didn't play the Splatoon DLC, so I had no idea what the crap I was doing. It's like, oh, I'm just going to grab this big gun and hold on to it. That's what I do, right? And it's like, no. Um, so you, what you have to do is there's this there's a gun in the middle of the map called the Rainmaker, and it's like a big grenade launcher that charges up and then shoots like an explosive. Um, and uh, there's a shield around it. And then whichever team manages to ink the shield the most, then the shield will pop. And whoever is in that splash radius is going down. Um, and then it's it's open to be grabbed by either team. And you have to get that gun uh, to a platform that, that it's on the other end of the map at, at the other team's, near the other team's spawn point. Like, not all the way there, but pretty close. Um, and so what really works great in conjunction with Rainmaker is this new special called the Baller. Where you're basically like a hamster in a yep. giant beach ball. It's really cool. And you, you just roll down the map and you're creating a path. So the person with the Rainmaker can follow in your path as the baller. And then you get to the end and it explodes and splashes ink everywhere. And like just little strategies like that where you're not, you're not thinking about just, oh, I'm the guy with the Rainmaker. What do I do? It's like, no, I'm the guy helping the guy with the Rainmaker. Like, what's going to help out the most? Uh, much, much like Overwatch, where people sort of find heroes that they like and they just sort of stick with them. Where it's like, no, based on the situation, what's going on with the enemy and like the map that we're on, it'd be better if you'd be this person. That very much applies to Splatoon as well. Um, and it's frustrating because I totally get where people are coming from. It's easy to fall in love with a weapon. Like I love the arrow spray. Uh, it's just like a solid. I can do decent with it in all yeah. situations. But. There are, there are weapons like the Gatling gun. In order to use the Gatling gun, it's not just holding down the trigger and then it blasts away. You have to charge it up and then let go. And there are like two circles with which it has to charge. And it's, it's kind of weird in a game to pull the trigger and not have it fire. And you have to yeah. let go in order for the, the, the bullets to come out. And it took me a couple of matches to get used to it. But then I started seeing like, oh no, the range on this thing is incredible. I'm killing people before they can kill me. It's really slow. It's not good at covering ink. But if I like support my people that are using brushes, I can really help them out. And that's what's been so satisfying to me and so interesting is the game is rewarding me for getting over that brief period of uncomfortableness or yeah. or for finding the the slot in which this weapon fills in. Like, that has been so immensely satisfying. Yeah, I, I really didn't think I was going to like that gun in multiplayer because I you know used it in single player because I played through the single player first uh, for the preview. And, like, those first couple of multiplayer matches with the Splatting, I'm like, oh. Yeah, you yeah, have that moment. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's awful if you get caught by surprise, but mm. if you have that person in your sights, like they don't have much of an option to get away because it just hits them so fast and so hard. Um, and then I've gotten some that uh, more recently we showed them on the stream, um, but uh, like definitely like you see why they're for advanced players because it's like a really big roller and like a really big charger, and they cover a wide range of territory at once. But they're so slow. Like if you get in a fight with that roller versus another roller, you just you're, you're going down. Yeah. Like you you kind of have to hang back, uh, and uh, you know stick stick to the balconies where people aren't really looking for you. Blood, I am curious if you feel this way as well. But another thing that I, I mean, I'm no balance expert, but a thing that I also really like in Splatoon 2 is I feel like the weaknesses for the weapons are very very easily defined. Where it's like, okay, if I pick this, I I'm not good at this, um, and because of that. 
I've never run into a weapon or a loadout where I felt like it was unfair or that it was cheap or like like the only reason I lost is because they were taking advantage of my weakness or I wasn't in a good position or I was just being dumb. Like I, I haven't had too many frustrating like, ah, they need to fix that moments in Splatoon 2. Have you? Uh, I haven't. I mean, I've, I've you know, I've, I've seen that the sloshers can be pretty devastating uh, but I've also had matches where, you know, like just people take me down because the slosher it has limited range. So if, mm-hmm. if you're far enough away, then you can definitely pick me off. It's just a matter of how well I can do at, you know, surprising people and being in that range to use a slosher effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, the blasters are, are kind of similar. It's like they're really effective at getting people without targeting precisely. But again, that range, like it's that's a set limit that you have to try to learn to work with uh the other thing that's kind of tricky is um you use them more i in uh ranked mode than anything is the uh the beacons that you can set down i don't know if you've unlocked these yet in any sets but they're basically spawn points to where people can super super jump to them what level do you get those at i don't remember exactly what the first set is that you get them uh, but yeah, so but that takes place of a bomb. So you you don't have that reaction where you can just right. toss a bomb at somebody, and the beacons use up like most of your ink. Mm-hmm. So it's like okay, put down a spawn point uh, to be able to you know have people come in and tower control and stuff. But you have to be able to do it intelligently um, because somebody can just quickly take that out, um, and uh, and then it's, you've you've just kind of wasted that that moment that time. Uh, Brandon. I'm sure our explanations haven't made you feel like any less intimidated. Like it's a lot of it's <laughs> right. a lot of nitty gritty stuff that we're we're you know we're talking about yeah, specific it, weapons and specials and things like that. But there is a story mode. There's a story true. mode where yeah. it's like, hey, you're, you're starting out with this very basic gun. It, we're it, like we're going through these levels where right. the enemies like, you know, there you have to work for it a little bit, but it's not overwhelming. You're not fighting humans. Is right. that something you'd want to go through? I'll t- I tell you what, yeah. It, and to me, it's it's not necessarily learning the systems. It's the it's the feel of the game. It's getting really yeah. comfortable with the transitioning between those two things, popping right. out and shooting right away. Um, and I tell you what, when we group streamed it, we uh, uh, got Splatoon two on the on our uh, work business account and downloaded it to my Switch. So it's on there, you know. Yeah. So like, yeah. I'll probably find myself, you know, at some point where I take my Switch out and be like, oh, okay, that's enough of Zelda for the. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's they're Splatoon. Sure, I'll jump in. Can I make a new character? Am I stuck with the character we made? In five you can seconds? change it anytime. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the one thing I will say though is. I can't imagine playing this any other way than the Pro Controller. The Pro Controller yeah. is so good. It's so good for Splatoon. It's I so good tried... for everything. That <laughs> controller is fantastic. Yeah, it, is. it feels very nice. Uh, but, you know, I, I tried doing, like, split Joy-Cons, and that really wasn't working for me because I use the analog stick a lot for quick turn left yep. and right. And when you're just holding a Joy-Con in your hand, it's just so hard to get to that little analog stick. Um, and then... It's not that's not so bad doing handheld, but doing handheld you're always fighting with the fact that you're actually moving the screen. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if there's any kind of lights that'll glare off of it or anything, it can it can be a little bit weird. You so don't you're have as using much gyro. Yeah, yeah, definitely using motion control. Now I, I know everybody swears by and says that gyro is the way to go, and if you're not using gyro, you are not using platoon to the the full. You're not you're not being the best platoon player you can be. I still stick with standard analog controls, mm. and I have given the gyro hours, hours of time, and I still prefer 
the analog stick. I tried to go. It's funny because I, you know, I do play other shooters with twin analog sticks, but yeah. I tried to go and play with the analog and like, I no, this you is not, it's probably, not working for me in this game. game. Then, yeah. yeah, I. But the thing is, is I, I haven't. I feel like I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. It's it, as long as I'm doing well. It's like as long as you're, you're having fun. Yeah, as long as you're having matters. fun. Yeah. Right there, you go. That's yeah. the real answer. Um, it is two hours and ten minutes already. There's one more game that I want to talk about. Uh, and we've talked, Damiani did a whole review on it, but mm. it left such an impression on me that I, I can't help but at least mention it, and that's Rhyme. Nice. Mm. Um, yeah, very surprised with his review of that, how positive yeah, it was. Yeah, it was more positive than I expected from him, yeah. Yeah, I feel like we're being more positive about Rhyme than a lot of other outlets, but Rhyme is one of those games where I played all the way through it, and I was like, how are people not positive about this? And I have to wonder if it's just because we've had a lot of games kind of that look similar to Rhyme mm-hmm. or kind of going for a, a thing like Rhyme. But man, what does it with Rhyme, there are two things with Rhyme. The way it presents its story uh, and the pacing of it and the areas that you're in. Um, the story is excellent, I think. And I think the reason the story is excellent is with all these games where you have like Abzu or Journey, it's very mysterious and things are implied. Um, but I think there's, there's actually a lot of story present in Rhyme. Uh, there's more story present than other similar games that you would compare it to. Um, but what Rhyme does so well is how it unfolds the mystery. Like, where Rhyme ended up and the connection that you have with the characters you meet uh, is not what I thought they would be initially. And it gives you enough information where as you're going through the game, you have plenty to chew on. It's not it's not so obscure and abstract that you're sitting there going like, um... That's weird, I guess. Um, time to move on to the next area, solve the next puzzle. Like you're like, oh, I think it could be this, or maybe it's going this way, and that's that's really fun. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really good storytelling is when you want to put in the effort to try to figure it out as you're going along. And I think Rhyme does a really good job of that. Uh, the other thing that it does really well is you you're never spending. I, like I was never stuck in Rhyme. I was never stuck on any of the puzzles for more than a couple of minutes. And so everything that I was solving, um, whether I was escaping like this giant dinosaur bird or whether I was, you know, moving light in a certain direction, um, I never hit a brick wall. And I don't know if I just got lucky or just maybe the puzzle spoke to me. Well, that's a good sign, though, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a good sign. Uh, you, you, Of course, the natural question, I think, after that is, is it too easy no, I like the, the the things that you're doing in rhyme. I think are very clever, and even though, like for example, shifting light around is something that appears uh, every so often in rhyme, uh, I felt like the way in which those puzzles mutated, or like maybe they would do something that was an evolution of a thing that you encountered before, but then immediately after that, you'll do something brand new, where it's like, okay, I'm leading this ball creature around, hmm. um, and all of that was just fantastic. Like I, it is a game that. At the end of it, you know, with there there not being words really or, like, it, it being a very sparse game, I had a lot of emotion. Like, I, it, was, it, was a, <laughs> it was an experience that I had to unpack. And so I, I felt uh, very fortunate that I played through it. And I think other people should give it a chance. I think it's a game that has been overlooked. It also looks really, really good. Um, just that style and the way that it presents the sea and the, the way that it uses bold colors, like, all the environments... Would seem to me to be uh, a really good purchase on Switch, if, yeah. you're, if you're looking for. If you've found a lot, gotten a lot of use out of that console, right. and you're looking when is for it a good game. On Switch? We don't have oh, it. Was it firm not out yet? Oh, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Ignore me. Yeah, it's. Whoops. 
it's a really cool game. Um, that's kind of my short four-minute explanation of it. But, uh, Brandon, since you edited the review, something that yeah. I think is cool that you tell me sometimes is, like, you'll sort of have a perception of a game, mm-hmm. but you haven't had a chance to, like, dig in and, yeah. and learn about it or play it or read up about it. And the way that the reviewer talks about it or just going through the footage trying to piece the shot together, you learn a lot about it. Uh, did that happen with Rhyme? Definitely. I think one of the sentences, uh, I, I don't, I'm paraphrasing, but I think he said, like, it's one of the most... It's one of like the best endings in video games or something. He made some statement. I was like, I'm not wow. ready to commit to that. I'm yeah. not ready to commit right. to that. Um, where it's tough, you know, for a game you haven't played, it's tough to, you know, like talk to that reviewer and be like, really? You know, exactly. you kind of have to yeah. gotta trust Damiani there. And um, Damiani is a man of, of hefty opinions and who has completed many a game similar to Rhyme. And so um, definitely has a lot to say as far as like trying to convey a story there. And like you were saying, like give you enough to think about, but not, you know, uh, like give you too much information or just kind of bog you down with with info to kind of let you pick up everything on your own and try to determine its own importance um and yeah i think it's tough it it makes me think of yeah something that um uh i think ukulele and rhyme might have gotten i don't necessarily the same like development process but like kind of had the the same kind of question marks going in where i'm like i've heard good things i've heard bad things i'm just curious how the final product is and uh, Damiani reviewed both of those and was not impressed with ukulele, but really liked Rhyme. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think when a game, yeah, kind of drops off my radar, or I'm, I'm not really sure when it's coming out. Like I know one of you know one of us is working on it, but I don't know if like you know exactly what time of the year it is. And then all of a sudden, boom! Here this review script drops and um, uh, is very positive. You know, and and is I haven't had a conversation with Damiani about this. I'm literally like, like all the Damianiness of this is just strictly coming through the text, <laughs> right? You know, of me trying to like decipher like what this game means to him and yeah. and uh, why specifically he's focusing on focusing on these positive elements. Two questions. I feel like Rhyme is very much a game where just seeing something for the first time is a lot of the appeal. Mm-hmm. The first time you go to that new area or the way it transitions between scenes uh, or a specific story moment. Um, and I feel like when you're putting a review together, you have to go out of your way to change up the shots to, to yeah. you know make things interesting. Uh, do you feel like because this game is just so visually... like The visual appeal of it is, is such a big part of it. Do you feel like it was ruined for you in a way? Uh, no. Uh, one of the things that helps with that is the more reviews I cut, the more they kind of seem to... to to blend together. So if I <laughs> if I give myself you know yeah. two or three months from when I cut the review to when I play the game, mm. it won't be like was this the review? I don't remember. But it, it will it, instead it will be like oh yeah I remember that shot that's neat. And so like again if I put a little distance there then I can still appreciate it and not just be like well I know what's gonna happen when I get to the top of this hill. Um, but then again no more so than really like if I'm interested in a game and see a lot of trailers like I'll still yeah. pick out those moments or. Um, the first half an hour of that game was not a surprise to me because it was the the beach and the the tall white towers and imagery I'd seen before. Sure. Uh, does it have the opposite effect where it's like, oh, this wasn't on my radar, but now because I have, I am going through and putting together all this footage and reading these words that you go and you want to play it like yeah. pretty immediately. Yeah, I think it's that it's kind of like watching a stream on Twitch for a couple hours for a game you're passionate about but don't know if you want to invest in. Uh, I think a lot of times like that'll be the the, the make or break for me of just like okay this yeah. like Injustice was a good example like ha- I had not played that when I was cutting uh, Huber's review and like saw the cutscenes and saw how deep you know how how well all these characters were animated and represented in the game and how extensive that's what was and I was like I'm gonna buy this so yeah <laughs> cool it happens uh, Blood I pose this to you because I feel like you play games. Differently than me uh, in very key ways. And something I don't like in Rhyme is there are several different collectibles. And 
I was going along, I was getting collectibles, and I was like, I don't, th this just sort of feels like a chore. Like, I don't think these are cleverly placed enough that I'm enjoying going out of my way and finding them. Mm. And so it just sort of feels like a, a task that I'm doing. And I, so I just dropped it. But whereas I feel like you are more of a completionist, you will hold on to those things uh, a, a little bit longer. Uh, is that, do you, when you go out of your way for collectibles, do you think it's just sort of a compulsive thing that you do? Or does it stem out of, I just like this world so much? Um, I mean, definitely a little bit of both. I, I think in general, I guess I kind of have to see what, you know, what the collectible, either what the collectible is about or like what it takes to get there. Because mm -hmm. sometimes getting collectible really isn't about the collectible at all. It's like, this is a difficult thing. It's placed in a weird way. Like, I want to figure out how to get to that. Yeah. You know, just to experience that part of the, the world and, and whatever that puzzle is, you know, to, to do it. So sometimes, it is, you know, like what the collectible is doesn't even necessarily matter. It's like, I just want to figure out where is it hidden? How is it hidden? You know, and, and like Splatoon 2, you know, you know, those collectibles aren't that hard. But like, when I miss one, it's like, Okay, where the heck did you put it? Where is it? Where's that thing hiding? So yeah, for me, for, for me, I'm very much about the reward where you can convince me to do almost anything if I think it's going to make the game better in the long run. And like in Splatoon Two, uh, in the single player, you can go and you can get those tickets that give you more experience or give you more money. Um, and it's like, oh, I, I'm leveling really slow. I, I want that. I'm going to go out of my way to go and find that, make sure I get it or upgrade my equipment or something like that. Do you care a lot about the reward? And follow-up question, how deep into the Korok seeds did you get in uh, Breath of the Wild? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it just really depends. Um, like, I think games like Assassin's Creed were... Uh, the they have these you know hundreds of animus shards all over um black flag and i was you know i was all right i'm gonna collect all these and and all this i, I don't know if you remember we edited this video um and i was like i'm gonna collect all these and we're gonna see what we get and and and, and there were you know there were cool rewards for for some of the game's collectibles but then i got all these animus shards and i was just waiting for maybe like some snippet of story or something to unlock just it's like what are these things what is their purpose and it was literally just like a checkbox on a longer list of random things to do. And it was just like, a, ch a checkbox? That's it? That's I got a checkbox. That was, it's like, okay, no, I don't, you know, whereas. Let it go. Yeah. You know, and they were just, and it's just because there's so many of them. Whereas like Splatoon 2, it's okay, like, there's one of these and one of these in each stage. And they're hidden, you know, often in clever places. So, you know, just finding them just like realizing like okay if i go a little bit off the wall rather than hitting the jump point you know i'll, I'll get one of these things uh that's hidden in a, in a level uh with the korok seeds um i i've gotten quite a lot of them but i'm not really getting them to get them necessarily you know again it's just like those it's just kind of those little little micro puzzles. I, I, I never enjoy the process of solving them. Yeah. Yeah. I never like went into an area being yeah. like Korok time. Like it was just like, oh no, I'm going there for another reason. And, oh look, like just I just found one. Right. Well, that's one of the best things about Breath of the Wild is I wouldn't do you like you were saying. I wouldn't do something for a Korok seed. Mm. I would just do something because it's like there's something suspicious about this area. Yeah. I don't know what I'm gonna get. Oh, I just happen to be a Korok seed. Right. Go for the area. Stay for the seeds. Yeah. Um. I was going to talk about the Destiny 2 beta because I think 
people have a lot of opinions on it. I have a lot of opinions on it. But where I am at with Destiny 2, and I know you guys have played it a little bit. I kind of wish Huber was here because I think maybe we could go a little bit deeper with it. I'm just not sure how to feel about Destiny 2 yet. Um, I think that maybe sounds more negative than I actually feel. I am, I am cautiously optimistic, but the Destiny 2 beta, I don't think, gave me enough to for me to decide if the changes that they're making are good. And on top of that, they've already come out and said, like, hey, this is an older build. We're going to fix a lot of this stuff. Um, because with Destiny 2, the things that I like are some of my biggest criticisms with Destiny 1, like that story mission that you do where the tower is being attacked. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, there's a lot going on. All of this looks really cool. These characters are doing pretty incredible things. I feel like I'm part of a special, like, hectic, action-y moment. And a lot of story missions in Destiny 1 didn't feel like that. They mm -hmm. just sort of felt by the numbers. And so I'm like, oh, man, if, if the story is like this in Destiny 2, that's going to be a huge improvement. That's awesome. I did the strike, really liked the strike. The strike felt like... Like they took some of the cool elements from the raids and put them in the strike. It felt really big and expansive. You keep going down. You're doing a lot of jumping. The yeah. boss has interesting mechanics. Yeah, Go ahead. I was. Uh, yeah, I played through it pretty much like right when it was like live. We were having to like ping that thing. It's like, is, was it working yet? Is it working yet? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, me and Ian just did the strike together with one random and and yeah, and just that I think is uh, where I would probably put sometime in a destiny 2 although I, I i just i'm not the kind of person that would do stuff like strikes over and over again sure. you know and so that's where that's why i don't feel like i have that much to say about the beta because like okay me and ian played the strike and i played one multiplayer match with huber and i was like okay uh i gotta get back to the other stuff i'm doing right and uh and but it you know it was great just having that moment with this you know me and ian to like all right i've got i'm gonna put a healing circle down now come over here and you know and and just kind of that that cooperation, that coordination with friends, you know, like to me, that's just got to be the way to play that, that game. It's just like if you can get get a crew together to play with you, like that's the best way to do it. Yeah, absolutely, and I agree. Like because these characters aren't persistent because they're not beta characters. Like I did, I too just did the strike once. It's like there's no real reason for me to do this again. And I think the true mark of a strike is if you want to do it. Uh, repeatedly, and I just I just don't know yet, and I also just don't know about how they've changed weapons. Mm -hmm. So in Destiny 1, you had a primary, a secondary, and a special weapon, and they've taken some of those weapons, like the, the, the sniper and the shotgun are now essentially power weapons, so you need power ammo to use them, and using a sniper in Destiny feels awesome. I, I loved, uh, like, switching between my primary and a sniper and just getting a lot of shots off, but now, like, ammo isn't readily available so i'm not using a sniper very often i don't know how i feel about that but they've come out and said no we're gonna fix that problem hmm. and cooldowns are a lot longer uh for a lot of your abilities and in pvp that makes sense one of the reasons i did not stick with destiny 1 pvp is it was just chaos all the time like <laughs> everybody doing specials and like you just you would just it, it was just a mess and i think some people liked that i think some people liked the chaos um, but now it's, you know, 4v4, it's a little bit more intense. You can't spam that stuff as much. But I'm not having fun in the multiplayer. Like, for as much as Destiny 1 multiplayer made me angry, and again, I'm coming from a completely casual perspective. I'm sure people that lived and breathed it have a different perspective than I do. But, like, even though I would get angry at the mess of Destiny 1, it felt distinct. Uh, it was... 
it, whereas in Destiny 2, it, I think even though that chaos made me angry, by taking it away, I don't, it, it feels a little bit more generic, I guess. Like, I don't know why I would play Destiny over some other multiplayer shooters. Um, it's just it's just not as much fun, but I, I haven't put enough time into it to really dig into, well, why isn't this fun? And so with Destiny 2, I feel like you have to sort of like take a wait-and-see approach, mm-hmm. whereas like this isn't a sequel that is... It's still Destiny. You're still doing the same things. You're still doing strikes. You're still going on these quests. There's still the Crucible. It's not a dramatically different game in that sense, but... Like, how are these smaller changes going to impact the whole thing? Like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, one thing I will say that I didn't care for in both the story mission and the strike, uh, random spinning machinery to avoid. Yeah. Like, that didn't really feel... Like, I'm trying to shoot enemies, and then, it, oh, giant drill, psh, dead. I'm like, great. Okay. It's an equalizer. It weeds, it weeds out people that are talking on the phone and playing destiny at the same time <laughs> yeah i i kind of like that part i did kind of like that part too actually. i mean it looks like it's, i could see, cool, see it being but, annoying but yeah, yeah. i could see it being it was annoying. annoying trying to revive people it was like what happened that, to them? Like, oh, that, yeah. yeah if you got someone on your team that was not paying attention and not you know then that's bad but uh but then aren't you kind of like incentivized to get on that mic and talk to them and, and right? say like i, I don't think know. that's what they want yeah right. I think that's the whole point of that and and may, maybe making that strike the first one yeah because that you know you will not see that coming right away it's like, what's that thing spinning? Brandon, you weren't as big into it as some of the other allies, but mm. you, you were a fan of Destiny 1. You played I reviewed Destiny time. 1, yeah. Yeah, uh, you um, reviewed I forgot yeah. you reviewed and Destiny I, 1. I, I, Destiny I definitely 1. enjoyed it out of the gate. Uh, and it was not... Uh, if if I have if I chose different life choices as far as my career was concerned, I probably uh, would have invested something. I think about games like Destiny and Grand Theft Auto Online and other games. I probably would have spent way more time in than I currently do. Yeah. Uh, just because I feel the need to move on to other experiences and communicate them, you know, because of our jobs. Sure. Um, but I always get the feeling that Destiny betas aren't for the players. <laughs> That they're like pretty much for for Bungie to just kind of you know make sure everything works and uh, I, I think when Bungie gets feedback of like more of this again they just ignore it because they know there's more to it they know sure. there's there's more content that they have yet to deliver uh, you know they've said like way more cutscenes way deeper story um, you know we know there's only one raid but uh, you know we've only just done one strike and so they can kind of see you know how expansive the game is and so those type of criticisms that are just like. Is there more than this? I don't know. I think they, I think those are kind of falling deaf ears, and they really just focus sure. on like technically what doesn't work. You saying you can't get more sniper ammo? Got it. Like that's the stuff they're really concerned about. Yeah. So going in and 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 determining whether the Destiny Two beta is indicative of, of the game Destiny Two is tough. I think it yeah. is for 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 what they put out there. It is tough, and it's why I'm I'm hesitant to be definitive at all or or really dig into it too much, uh, but. It, People are forming impressions, you know. Mm-hmm. People people are saying, "Oh, this is not what I want Destiny 2 to be based on this, this beta and based on the changes that they make." So I, I have to wonder if, like, if you're Bungie, does that early impression? How much does that matter? If you are like you said, you know that a lot of these problems are going to be addressed. How mm-hmm. much do you care about that early perception? How much does that perception generally matter? Yeah. What do you think? I I, th- I think it has a lot to do with how much time you're willing to give to Destiny and 
and that amount of time that you knew before you even started the beta. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think there's a lot of convincing going on where people are like, I'm on the fence. I don't know if I'm going to add this to my life and then really got into the Destiny 2 beta and that did it for you. I don't I don't see that happening as I much as, as potentially other shooters or even like new IPs, something like an Overwatch that you would get into and be like, this looks cool, but I just have no idea. Like, I think, you know, with Destiny, like, I think you can make a pretty safe prediction on whether it's going to be worth it to, to get back into it, uh, whether you're still playing Destiny 1 now or whether... Uh, you uh, took some time off. Blood, did your limited time with the beta make you any more or less interested? Um, like I said, probably more interested if, you know, like those opportunities are there to play with someone I know. Yeah, um, let's make it happen. Uh, I don't know. Like in the grand scheme of things, it will probably like very much vary based on what else is coming out at that same time. It's like, yeah. uh, it's not at the top of my list necessarily. Okay. Well, it's that time of the show. That very special time. We've done very abrupt chops the last couple of episodes, but I've been on vacation, and I need a good, old-fashioned, built-up, feel-it-from-your-gut. <laughs> Up and down shot there. Um, for the Hotaki today, if you're new to the show, I, something that I need to be better at is I realize that some people are listening for the first time and they have no idea what hotake means. And <laughs> that's fair. What hotake means is this is where I sit and think for longer than I probably should about a topic concerning games. And it's a question, I think it's an interesting hotake if it's a question that I can't immediately answer or where I don't have an immediate opinion yeah. or where I go back and forth. And this one, um, I felt that way. I felt that way about this one. And my question to you is, do we cut games too much of a slack uh, when it comes to certain things? Are we too generous? Uh, are we too... Because we are people that cover games, <laughs> because we are people that have played games for a long time, when we say a story is good in a game... <laughs> Sophie's really into this otake. Uh, when we say like a story is good in a game, and we say, oh, this game has great storytelling, this game has great characters... Are we able to distinguish between truly great, like great under any lens, or just great for a game, or great for this genre? Um, are our expectations too low? Um, do we not challenge what we're seeing enough? Um, and the same could be true with mechanics. I think a lot of times, you know, we just do something in a game where it's like, okay, I have to go and I have to deposit this thing here because that's what you do in games. Like, you have to run through these hoops, you have to do this busy work. Um, and if we're too generous, how do we get that perspective? Is there anything like truly great? Like, can you distinguish it between games and movies and books? Or, or is a good story a good story no matter what? Uh, you want to take this first blood? <laughs> I have been. I don't. I don't think I did a great job of. It's kind of a broad. It's, yeah. Okay, but right. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I have the answer you want, but I definitely have yeah, an answer. Yeah, we can, we can suss it out as we go along. I mean, I think I kind of see where you're coming Because I think in a way it's sort of like, it's similar to how you think of, you know, say blockbuster movies or whatever. It's like, yeah. It's like you can walk out of something like Guardians of the Galaxy and like think that's, yeah, that was great. That was really well done. And it's like, I, I loved it. It was amazing. But at the same time, like, you don't have, you're not comparing that to like some movie that's like, going to make you rethink how you treat other people 
Right. You know? right. <laughs> you're like it's, it's like it's not that heavy of a, of a thing. And so, yeah, it, it is weird because there are different levels of like how something like a Mass Effect is going to impact you versus how something like Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons is going to impact you. It's like they can both be great, but they're great in very different dimensions. Yeah. Um, talking about how things impact you, uh, there are a lot of movies that I see, or, and even TV shows now. I mean, TV is great now, where like, I will watch something and it will impact me so much that like, I, I, there are shows that I've watched where I've, I've seen an episode and I can't watch any more TV for the rest of the week. Like, it's just, it's, it's been so impactful to me. Whereas with games, I rarely feel like the whole experience is that powerful. Like, I played uh, through Beyond Two Souls recently. Mm. And there are really good, specific moments where it was like, okay, this scene here was really well done. I, this was inventive. This is a cool way to experience that. But the story as a whole didn't do much for me. And I even feel that way about Mass Effect. Like, I think the broader story is fine. It's acceptable. Right. But what I remember about Mass Effect are those character interactions, um, those, like, specific moments like, oh, when I was here on this planet, not necessarily the, the whole cloth thing. Is that a weakness with games? Is that okay? Is it just a different thing? Like, at what point are we being too generous and at what point are we just being nitpicky? Uh, I think, so the... For me, from the perspective of a reviewer, is uh, I'm I'm telling you, based on my expectations of a thing, right? Uh, how that ended up turning out, you know, based on like how people could have perceived something. Uh, you know, obviously, you want to try to help someone understand a topic, so you don't want to come in. Uh, what one interesting f- bit of feedback I've heard from people is that we take that for granted a lot in our reviews. We throw out terms like FPS and stuff like that, and it's just right. like kind of got to know. What that stands for, you know, when we say like HUD, like what that means. Um, right. But I think uh, when, when you review something, you're basing it on what you were expecting something to be and what you think the standard of quality based on what something is and whether uh, your scoring system can be ironclad. Still, your perception of what that is right. can change depending on what you think, you know, like, is it a good shooter? It's like, well, what is a good shooter to you? Like, what does that mm-hmm. mean? Like, how, uh, I, I think one game um, that uh, I got a lot of flack for and that I've, I've wrestled with was my, I gave uh, Battlefront 8. And a lot of people gave Battlefront a 6. You know, they got really, really pissed. And to me, I was, you know, I was uh, born in the 70s. I, I grew up with Star Wars as a small child. I grew up with toys flying around. Um... Uh, and and making the Falcon sound, making Tie Fighter noises, making blaster sounds and, and and lightsaber sounds, and so when I hear a Tie Fighter sound, perfect, it, it's gonna hit me a little bit more. It's gonna impact me. It's gonna it's gonna be worth more uh, for me when I'm I'm adding up all of the qualities of a game. And so for some people that are just like, well, I don't really care about Star Wars. It's like, well, I do. And right there, we're different people. And so mm-hmm. I don't think that there is um, if you find yourself. Uh, maybe I, I did score that a little higher than I should. Maybe I am letting my bias or my interest in that genre in general kind of like take over. I think it's okay because there are thousands of other reviewers out there that have many, many other perspectives and your perspective can kind of blend with theirs yeah. to maybe try to find some kind of collective understanding of what something is or, or how it's been perceived by the industry. Right. But you brought up a very interesting point there that I want to hang on is like 
part of what made Battlefront work is not that it was telling a story like Star Wars, but that you could feel yeah. swinging around a lightsaber, shooting a blaster, or like just having the sights and sounds surround you and move through that world. And that wasn't an accident. That was right. work that they did, and it was the, the debate amongst reviewers whether whether that work done on making sure it looked realistic and felt realistic and sounded realistic was worth it. Like, right. Or whether uh, you would have not minded if the game didn't look as good, but there was more of a campaign, more maps, more environments. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's so many weird layers to it because, like, you know, I mean, you, you just replayed Final Fantasy VI. Mm-hmm. There's a game that I would say has a fantastic, great story. Yes. But I don't think I would ever at any point say that it has good writing. Yeah, the dialogue's not yes. great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, so it's weird, like, like what? well, why do I like the story so much if I can look at any of those lines and things? Well, that's kind of silly or that's kind of weird. You know, it's, you know, it's like you get attached to these little, little, sprites bouncing around and, and and none of it's you know aside from the music none of it's really presented that well and you know even the music from a quote-unquote objective perspective it's like well it's just you know it, it, it's all just a bunch of electronic sounds trying to sound like other things mm-hmm. um, but it, it it all works it's all it's, it's all very effective like even like you're pointing out some of those uh, airship sprites at the very end of the game it's like those only exist for the ending and they look amazing uh you know, not only for the time, but just even now looking at that, you know, and on the technology and everything. Uh, there, there are people that I see that every so often say, like, an RPG has to have a great story in order to be worthwhile or to, to really be a, a legendary RPG. And the more that I think about it, the more I don't think that that, that is true. Necessarily, yeah. Yeah, um, because, like, I think we have a tendency as human beings, like, we want to process things as simply as possible. And when you break down a game, the easiest way to do it is be like, okay, well, here's the story, here's the graphics, here's like control. But all of those things are working together simultaneously in a game. I mean, when you go out into a big open world in a game, like take, take anyone you want, like take The Witcher, for example. It's like, think about how complex that single moment is. Like, think about how the grass is moving, how the trees are swaying in the wind, how these characters are animating and moving, what their routine is, where they're going to go, like how your HUD is presented to you and the information that it's conveying, how your character looks, like how sound is playing. Like, all of that stuff... And then, like, you get to move through it on top of that. Like, you right. get to influence what happens next. All of that stuff, I think, is responsible for a powerful scene. It's not just oh, he said that line good. You can't hold it to the same standard because it's an entirely different thing. Yeah, well, even something as simple as, you know, like how people react to you. You know, it's like there's there's people interacting in the scene doing their daily tasks, but then Geralt walks through that street and some people are going to respect him. Some people are going to, like, toss insults at him. It's like right. there's going to be all of this other things, you know, like one... A kid's gonna, you know, look at his swords and is like, "I want to play with swords," and others are gonna run away. You know, it, it's all of these like very different things like play into that, and then the lighting is gonna play into that. The sound of the wind and the birds and whatever area you're in is gonna play into that. You know, the fact that you have, you know, all of this debris and stuff from some battle like paints a very different mood. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's kind of crazy how much all all works out there. You know, even even the fact that like <laughs> I still think it's crazy that uh, you know the 
the amount of sunlight varies based on how far north you are on the map. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just simple things of like, you know, there, there's world building, but then there's also character building, and then there's also plot, and it's yeah, it's kind of hard to like put it all together. And individual quest lines that like, okay, well this quest line is really good on its own, but if you take into the fact that like, if you do two of these quest lines and they see too similar, then that sort of takes away from things. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if, if I'd only played one of them, I would have had a different perspective of that game. Yeah. Right. We're, we're talking about all these different components, though, um, and how these are these are more complex than just the words being said and how it's written. Um, but like, take a game, take any game that is trying to present a story, and you just you immediately go like, oh. The story is not good in this, but there's so much other stuff. But mm-hmm. it is trying to have a story, right? It is. There are characters that are talking to you. None of it matters. Like, think about it. There's so many games that I've played. So many where I have reached the end, and I cannot give you a good <laughs> summation of that story. Right. And I think that's true. I would. I probably think that's true for all of us. Like, not to pick on it, but, like, I played all of Tales of Hysteria. I played the thing front to back. And I was paying attention and right after I reviewed it I could comment on the characters in the world and the story almost none of it is stuck I can't like the different like there are like celestial beings and how people interact with them I like I don't even remember how all of that stuff works <laughs> part of that could be attributed to me having a bad memory but I think another thing about it is it just wasn't that good like it was serviceable in the moment but wasn't presented strong enough to really stick with me like Am I giving that too much of a pass? When I play through so many first-person shooters and all I tell you about is how the guns feel, not how the world is presented, Like, are things going to get better if we don't push harder against these things? Or do we need to push harder at I all? Think, I think just guaranteed there's going to be someone that will. You know, there's somebody out there will, and, and the publisher will not ignore that statement. That'll stick with them. You know, like somebody, yeah. no matter what game it is, someone's going to review it, you know, give it a nasty review, um, even if it's constructive, and uh, but just kind of aggressively so. And I think when you talk about uh, experiences that you have like that, I think all of us have like this, uh, even as reviewers, and even though you don't want to listen to that voice, we all have that, that ticking clock where there's only so many you know, games I can play that do this trope and then it's the 50th one. And you know, I can't, I'm tired of this, you know? And like, maybe that, maybe you take it out on that game a little bit more than you would another game just because it's like, that was just it. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. Well, that's the funny thing too, is like, you know, people that watch a lot of, uh, you know, one outlets reviews or whatever, uh, you know, they, they talk about, you know, being inconsistent. It's like, well, you know, you, you, you dig this game for that, but this other game did the same thing. And it's like, well, it, for whatever reason, it didn't bother me in that game. And yeah. that could be some other weird part of the design to where, like, that actually worked in that game's favor and it didn't work in this game's favor, you know. And, and that can be said for, for a story as well. It's like, yeah. you know, um, you you can have a game, you know, just even talking about, like, length of cutscenes, you know. Like, you can have a game have really long cutscenes and work. And you have another one is like, you stop the action at all and, like, what are we doing right now? Like, just l- let me play, you know. <laughs> Um, I think for me, a game, how a game presents even its text is so important. Like think about when you're playing a game that is just a box, it's just a gray box and it has words in it and you're going through. There are a lot of times where, especially if it's a lot of words in that box, I have to think like, oh wait, did I push X? Did I really read? Did I really comprehend what was going on? That's so much different than, and this is something that we get 
arguments with you about um, where you have characters interacting, their mouths are moving, right. the scene is changing, the camera is changing. That's immediately more engaging. Um, but of course, like budget is a factor in that. Yeah. Uh, time is a factor in that the type of game it is is a factor in that the amount of information that's conveying is a factor in that and so it's i think it gets hard to like games are so diverse that like i i don't know like people say stories in games need to be better mm-hmm. like they're just they're just childish they're they're not enough and it's like that is a you can't just make them better. There's no universal rule that you can apply to make all of them better because they're all trying to accomplish different things. So what does that even mean? Like, is that even really a problem? Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that you, uh, yeah, it's the, Eileen uh, uh, the Crow keeps coming up. And, right. it, and it, 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 it always makes me wonder. It's like, I walked right by that character. That character was not placed in any significance for me and I didn't find the character significant. Right. I, I don't think I'm wrong. But I, it's it's yeah, it's interesting. It's like that impacted you much more. But like you kind of had the precedent of playing the games before that to know kind of how to suss out who was cool and who wasn't. Like right. the way that from software presents them in their world. Um, but at the same time, I can't be super critical because here was this cool thing that I missed purely because my fault. Right. You know that I didn't know. You know to maybe find that other character or listen to their words a little more carefully as opposed to other people that were presented the same way they were but didn't end up being that important to the story. Um, so. Yeah, it works both ways. Like for me, it's a bummer that I didn't do it, but at the same time, it's kind of fun that there was something deeper to find there. Um, and if you discovered it on your own, it's it's that much more impactful. Yeah, I, I do think there is this security blanket though, um, where like a lot of times I'll play a game and I'll be like, oh, okay, like I've seen a game. It's okay that the game is presenting itself this way because I've seen it so many times before. Where that's just that's just par for the course. And I think in some ways it's good because it allows us to move on and see other parts of that game that might be more substantial. But when I take a step back, I think to myself, am I too comfortable? Mm -hmm. Like, is it okay? Like, again, talking about Eileen the Crow, and you were saying that, like, it bothered you that you're seeing these characters in Bloodborne where their mouths aren't moving, but you're having these conversations with them. Like, I could get past that because I've been used to it. I've seen other games like that. Is that me being too comfortable? Are we getting too comfortable? Do we excuse things? Am I too comfortable in the world of cutscenes and and lip movement? You know, like... Uh, and so it's, yeah, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. There's no correct right. answer. Uh, there's no correct score to any game. Yeah. We, we just kind of like see where we are at the end of the day, you know, based on that limited window of attention that a game gets at launch to kind of uh, figure out collectively where we all arrived. And, and maybe based on, you know, personalities you like and reviewers you like, who you're more likely to trust based on. Now, again, not because like they're, they're right or wrong, but because they, they tend to more side with uh, things that I like. Yeah. Uh, but you said you were reviewing Battlefront. Yeah. That you're like, I'm, I'm okay with feeling this way because there are a bunch of other people who are focusing on totally different things, things that they're going to love that I didn't notice or things that they're going to hate that I didn't notice, different perspectives. And that's true. The internet has an abundance of critical voices. But for the consumer, you only have so many time, so much time to, to watch a review or to read a review. I mean, that's, that's a commitment. And there are a lot of people who trust us, right, mm-hmm. who devote their time to us and choose us. And I want to give them as many perspectives as possible. That's why we have things like Frame Trap. That's why we have things like streams. And so, like, if you trust Huber more than anyone else, you can focus on Huber. But back in the day, something that people still bug us about are Electronic Gaming Monthly Reviews, where they had three different reviewers and three different perspectives. Uh, Why don't we do that? 
Because uh, we're not magazines with two months early access to an unfinished game. <laughs> maybe that. Also, just diversification. I think with nine of us uh, pursuing different interests, we still only play like you know thirty percent of yeah. the, this industry's output. Yeah. Again, that, uh, yeah, twelve to fifteen games I have sitting with nobody actually playing them right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even things like Diablo or like No Man's Sky or something that you, we could just so easily move on. Every now and then, one of us is still entrenched. Is still like ah, I can't put this game down. I'm still into it. And right. so I, I like having that perspective. Um, on stuff and I like that that coming organically rather than like telling a person like no you all three of you are working on this um, uh, but it, it is an interesting system and AGM was my mag I mean that, yeah. I, I, I definitely appreciated that growing up but at the same time I don't know if that ever really informed any purchasing decisions I would make I don't know if anybody's like if, there, if it was like 8.5 8.0 6 and like what like yeah. I didn't read that 6 being like we're gonna get to the truth here I just liked seeing opposing ends i liked seeing somebody disagreeing with somebody and then you know maybe them changing their own opinions or, or seeing them evolve i'm also curious what the workload looked like for them right back then. you know it's like a very different thing now that like so many games like digital games and early access games there's like yeah. you know anyone can just like shoot a code out to you in an afternoon <laughs> whether you ask for it or not and back then like builds had to be mailed to them and you know how many did they have at a time to work on right uh it's a very different different world back then but i've been with game trailers uh in some capacity since 2011 mm-hmm. we've pretty much since that time six years ago done reviews in the exact same way mm-hmm. people like it that's why that's why we do it there's, yeah. there's a reason behind it but you know i i, w- I came into this otake asking you guys are we too comfortable? Are we too comfortable with the way that we look at games when we're reviewing them? You know, like our process has been the same for years. Like the way that we capture footage, the way that we take notes, the way that I give you information and then you read the script and, and all that stuff. Should we be... The way we take notes has definitely changed pretty dramatically. That's they, true. They didn't used That's to... True. Yeah, we didn't used to do all that specific note-taking. Yeah. It's used like the editor just try to find the thing that we talked right. about. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. a good point. And here's a two-hour tape. Good luck. Right. But I, but I guess the, the ultimate question still stands is, do we need to challenge ourselves more? Do we need to be more experimental or not? Uh, from me and somebody who's gotten better at different things in production, the more that I do them year after year after year, I do like being committed to a particular style to see if I can get better at that. Sure. Uh, and I think if, as somebody who has written these reviews and voiced them and edited them and done so many different parts of the production, I enjoy getting better at those things. I think I still am. And so, uh, I don't feel like I'm in a rut yet. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely prefer what we're doing now to, uh, the category breakdowns that we used to do. Um, it's definitely, uh, as we were talking about, like all of these different factors influence each other and play off of each other. And so it's very difficult to break down, you know, just to say like, well, you know, the graphics are this thing and the story is that other thing. And then somehow all together, it adds up to this number that nobody understands how we did the math. You know, (laughs) it's just, it's just so Uh, much, (laughs) you know, and and, (laughs) memories. Yeah. And it's like, it's not just the scores of that. It's the whole, you know, it's like. Well, I want to talk about this thing, but I'm in the wrong section, so I gotta wait and talk about it later. Uh, and it's just so it's it's just it is nicer to just you know it's like yes, we sort of have or sort of doing it in the same sort of way, but at the same time, like every script can be extremely different. Like we can monkey that stuff all around. We don't have to talk about things in a specific order. It's like it's like okay, if 
if talking about the story means that there's also collectibles that tie into the story that I want to talk about, then let's talk about those collectibles right now rather than waiting until I get to some other part where we talk about collectibles. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I like about our modern era is when I'm playing a game, you know, I'll have my perspective on it, I'll write a script, and then I will go through the comments and people will tell me things about the game or just give me another angle that I never would have imagined. Like, it's so easy to get hundreds and thousands of voices all dissecting this game in different ways, and that's really valuable. Um, but at the same time, I, have to, I also have to wonder if there's a danger in that as well, where because we're exposed to so many different perspectives, we're losing a lot of the substance. I think that's why things like uh, Metacritic have you know, been so successful or why we have to use very simple notation is because there's so much out there that it's hard for us to process anything other than is this good is this bad um do you think the the amount of voices is is dangerous or do you think that's just on the individual to decide how they approach a game i think it's yeah it's on the individual i don't i don't think necessarily the amount of voices uh affects me more than like just one particular person that i i feel like a kinship with right you know if uh this is a totally randomly related thing, but like Rick, uh, Rick and Robo in our community is a big Disneyland fan. So if like I'm, I'm chatting with him and I'm like, oh yeah, Mission Breakout just came out of Calvary Adventure. And he's like, I didn't like it. I'd be like, oh no, you know, <laughs> whereas if like people I didn't know necessarily or for a lot of people were kind of like, you know, saying bad things about it. And then that was kind of in line with what, kind of what I heard in general, like maybe, you know, those voices individually aren't really going to stand out. But if it's somebody that like I have a frame of reference and I know like, oh, oh dear, you and I are usually so eye to eye, or I kind of know what you mean by just that one sentence statement. Um, then I tend to read into that uh, more and more. But uh, I, I kind of welcome those challenges. I love, I love when uh, it's kind of why I like trailers so much. Is I love when I'm like, oh, you just played with my emotions there. I see what you did, and so mm-hmm. I like, pat myself in the back when I'm like, okay, commercial or trailer or good review from reviewer I trust. I still don't like this game, but thanks. I appreciate your perspective. Blood, are there too many voices? Do you think we put too much stock in the collective opinion? Um, I think it's I think it's really easy for people to jump on a bandwagon to say something is just awful. Like, what do you mean by that? Um, I mean, I think like a good example is uh, like uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah. Where like the narrative of that game is that's a bad game, and they dropped the ball. And I played through that game i enjoy that game it's you know not at the level of previous mass effect games but i think a mass effect fan can get into that and enjoy it and you know and get attached to some of those characters and you know some of that world and you know people have a right to be disappointed that some of the things it was alluding to may never actually you know some of those questions may never be answered so um so yeah so i think that's like it's more than anything, it seems to be like really easy for people to wipe something aside and say like, oh, uh, well, this has such and such problems. How could you ever accept that? I'm not going to play it. Blah, 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 blah. It's horrible. You know, how could you even possibly give it the time of day? Um, but I mean, otherwise, I think, you know, yeah, like lots of different perspectives, you know, pretty good. It's interesting to hear about, you know, the person that thinks that something, you know, is a really great, impressive game when you're not quite seeing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, particularly interesting to find um, the voices that appreciate a game even though they don't think it's 
you know all all that great like they, they can recognize the defects and yet still like really be into something In a general sense, and this is an unfair question, if there was one minor thing that you could see kind of a, a, across the board with video games, and I know I just said they're all different, trying to accomplish different things, what is what is one thing that you would like to see more of in games, or some games? Uh, openness when appropriate. You know, like, just open worlds, I, I, I think, are, are fun. I like, I like seeing franchises experiment with that. Um, I think yeah, Zelda was obviously a big case of that this year, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a trend I wouldn't mind. I, I don't want it to take over. I don't think everybody should do it. I think they, like Telltale series need to be open world. Like obviously, you're like you know the adventure games. Like I, I think there's um, some that that fit uh, uh, you know side scrolling action game like would fit a more linear design. But uh, uh, I'm I always my ears perk up, and I'm always excited to see people experiment with that. Metal Gear Five, great example of just kind mm-hmm. of like you know opening things up things up a little bit more. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe like eye contact. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the things that there's still parts of Witcher Three that like are like seared into my mind because people just communicated through eye contact, through you know facial expression and and things like that. And I I think there's there's still a long way to go with the majority of games. Uh, to have those subtleties in relationships to where that can come across uh, and and work uh, and and have you know the, those different different tones to a relationship. I like that answer a lot. Um, for me, comedy. I think. Uh, sure. Yeah. Where there there are games that are funny. There are games where I I appreciate their wit and humor. But I almost like there are there are a lot of times in my life where it's like I just want to watch something lighthearted and fun and I'll turn on a television show or I'll pull up a movie. I never go to games explicitly for the humor. There's no game that I can think of and I'm like, I just want this because like the jokes are good. Like maybe it's funny because of how it moves and like weird physics or things like that, but not just like, no, this this line makes me laugh. I can think of one. I mean, I can think there are some. Yeah. There are some. I don't want to say it doesn't exist in games. Yeah. It does. It's just it's just a rarity. And mm-hmm. I feel like anytime it happens, like we have to because it's so rare, it, yeah. we have to um, do it a lot. And I think specifically, what I mean is more comedy about life, like um, sure. more like finding humor in the world around us. Uh, I want to see see more of that. Because there's just, a lot of kind of self-referential things and like playing in jokes on franchises and things like that but yeah I, I see what you're saying that like they're they're not really all that applicable like if you took that 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 game that's really funny like a mario and luigi superstar saga right and you like put that up to somebody that doesn't play video games you'd be like what like they wouldn't get the jokes at all right <laughs> like just a very easy example, a lot of people praise Portal for its humor and its mm-hmm. writing. And yeah. you think about the the story and the setting of Portal, it's it's extremely elaborate. Like it's like, okay, you're in this you're in this laboratory, here's this crazy machine life form that's saying all these things to you. I wanna like scale like think about it's always sunny in Philadelphia. That is essentially about just 
a group of really funny assholes living day-to-day life and getting into like extraordinary circumstances. I want to see more of that. Like I think I think we could do it. I think we have the ability to to write those characters. Um, and I think it'd be really cool. I still think a game like Katamari Damacy is hilarious. It is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because of jokes. Right. You know, it's like if I like am going by the beach and I like yeah. pick up a lady in a bikini that's like, ah, you know, it's like, is that a joke? I guess. Well, I'm laughing, you know. Right. Like, but it's just kind of the whole, the absurdity of the whole thing. Yeah. But, uh, we could use a little more of that. Yeah. I, it's it's tough because when I think of the humor in games, I think of something like a Katamari where it's very yeah. physical. And physical comedy is great, but I also just want, just want the lines, man. It's it's a it's a thing that I'm not articulating particularly well, but well, there's not a lot of examples. There's not a lot of examples of that specifically. We're ready for the the final section of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, sounds like Ben's ready. I'm. Re- are you ready? Yeah. Are you okay. ready? Okay. Oh yeah. And we're, th- we're three hours in. We have to be ready. Yeah. <laughs> we, have to, we have to pull the switch. Um, our first email comes in from Gonzalo. He says, "Hey, allies." I recently finished uh, Tales of Berseria and really liked the story. Still, I was disappointed by the level design with environments feeling very dull and drawn out. I don't think I'll have pushed through the... I don't think I would have pushed through the repetitive way of progression of this game if I hadn't been as invested in the story. I really hope this gets the full anime treatment like Tales of Hysteria, uh, which there's an anime on that game. Uh, Question, have you had a game that you felt like could have been more suited to another medium? A movie, a series, a cartoon, an anime, even a book or visual novel. Thanks, love, and respect. Mm. Oh, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a game. Like you read a, I read a book. Yeah, and so it's t- like yeah, this might anything, be a good movie. anything that you were play, you were experiencing, and you wished it could have been uh, to another thing. He does specifically say game. Um, a game, I think yeah, could, a game that would have been better to not be a game. Yeah. I've always thought Dan Brown wrote like screenplays in book form. Like every every Dan he wrote Da Vinci Code and all that stuff. Like I was every time I read one of those books, it's like I wonder if this is going to be a movie. It just seems like packaged for that. They um, were but, movies. Uh, they did become movies. Eventually, yeah. yeah. But it just even at, like at the you know when I first read Da Vinci Code, sure. I was like, he clearly wants this to be a film. Um, but a game, I don't know. I defer to you, Blood, until I can think of something. <laughs> oh <better>. gosh. <laughs> game that went to exist in another medium. I mean, I've I've desired that. Like, there are gaming... For, like, I've always wanted a Grand Theft Auto movie, even though the Hauser brothers are like, never. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I've always thought that would be kind of fun to to translate any of those games uh, into that medium. But I don't think it would improve it. I didn't play the Grand Theft Auto games being like, this isn't working for me, but as a movie it would. It's just like, I think I think it's possible. I think you could do it. Yeah. Um, but never, never to improve it. I, I don't know. There's a game that I think of, um, Catherine. And I, mm. I need to be very careful with how I describe it because I feel a very particular way. It's not that I would have it rather be something like a different medium. It's that like there was this puzzle, there's this puzzle game in it and it's good. I like the puzzle part of it and they do use that in the storytelling, but I was most interested in making the choices with these characters. Like anytime I was doing the puzzle stuff, it's not that I wasn't having a good time. It's just I liked the other things so much better that I, I I almost wanted to like divide the two things completely, um, and there's there's another game that's on the tip of my tongue that I can't think of where it's like I I'm only doing this puzzle solving part to get to the story. Um, I think sometimes that happens with like adventure visual novels where it's yeah. like the vast majority of the time, 80% of the time you're reading text and that's all well and good. And then once in a while I have to solve a puzzle and it's like, 
uh, I kind of just wish I could get the whole story. But. Yeah, well, I think uh, I honestly think that the Professor Layton's kind of have that weird divide, where it's like, like yeah, the, these these puzzles are cool and they're great brain teasers, but the story I kind of just want to experience separately in a way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm playing the uh, the Layton game that just came out on phone. Right. The with, where you're playing as uh, the woman and. The puzzles just, I mean, this is true of every latent game. The puzzles just come out of nowhere. And that's a fun part of that game, but it does feel so disconnected from the story that I, yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, any other examples? Any other? I just think games are so cool, and I think games are doing so many more interesting things and growing so much faster than television and film uh, and comic books and novels and, you know, any other kind of, like, like storytelling medium. Uh, so it, I think it would be have to be a really misguided concept or a really broken game for me to like want to go backwards in time. Me to think mm-hmm. that like these interactive choices that these people are making in their storytelling, just just give it all up and just just write a two hour thing and be done with it. Sure. Like, I don't know if I've ever thought that. I've always been like, no, no, let's try to fix this. Let's try it. Like this story could work in a game, but I'd rather like apply new ideas to this game than take all the ideas out and just go back to an old format. Um I, I, I think I found myself much more the opposite where I'm just like, I'll watch Big Trouble in Little China and it's like, why isn't this a video game? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> or like some comic book, like Invincible. It's like, oh, this would be the best open world game, you know. But uh, the opposite direction, not so much. Okay. Our next email comes in from Brandon. He says, hello, everyone. I hope this finds you well. Recently, uh, it has decided that Doom will have all of its DLC go free with their recent 6.66 update. And because of this, it's been the first time I've played the multiplayer in over a year. Because of this, I wanted your thoughts on if DLC, after a set period of time, should become free. If so, should it be free only after a period of time, like Titanfall and Doom, or at the start of the upcoming Battlefront 2? Are there any games that currently have paid DLC that you would like to become free? Thank you very much. And stay easy, fellow allies. I don't think there's like a law you can have for free DLC. It always kind of seems to be a decision made from execs that's yeah. that just like we, we we need some goodwill here, you know. Right. Let's cash in. Like Battlefront, like needs some goodwill as far as uh, you know pricing out all of those things individually and and what the value you get for Battlefront. Major concern with the first game, so very smart decision for the next one. Where they're like, guess what? Here's some stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, Battlefront and Splatoon and some of these others that are doing that like. Yeah, I mean, it just makes sense for that to be baked in to your purchase. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, you're 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 not buying just like the game that's out right now. You're buying this this whole suite of things that you know will be in the work over the next couple of years. Um, I do think one thing uh, in terms of things going free, I I feel like it's a little bit weird that. Um, like a like say a game of the year edition can come out and include all of this DLC but if you bought the game a year ago it's like oh well i still have to pay more money than that game of the year edition would cost me right. to get that stuff so it it definitely feels like at the very least those things should come way down in price for people that bought the game on on day 1 and haven't gotten into the DLC yet um, I do think a lot of times games are not inventive with the stuff that they put so much time into make. Like, yes, you do have Game of the Year editions, 
But I feel like with a lot of games, it's like, okay, the game comes out, we're going to support it for this long, we're done supporting it, we'll be, we'll be done. And there are very practical reasons for that, of course, budget and time restraints and all of that. But I do think the, the age that we live in, the way that you can get messages out, the way that you can mess with digital storefronts, more games should take that stuff and find different ways to present it be like and you are you do see things like that but I, I think we can go even further like oh it's it's free for this month for this reason or like you get it if you buy this thing like there's no reason not to experiment and there are so many games yeah. that I end up liking a ton and then they just die on the vine for whatever reason maybe the initial marketing campaign wasn't good maybe it was a busy time and it's like I don't I feel like we live in an age of video games where financial defeats don't have to be like you, you don't have to reach that, that conclusion so soon like you can you can put in that fight for longer um yeah i just i just like to see that yeah well i think too um i think sony's been kind of at the forefront of this uh with so infamous and now uncharted like if you can make that story dlc a standalone thing. It's just you just took the words right out of my mouth. Just yeah. freaking do it. Like yeah. that Deus Ex yeah. that I talked about earlier. It's yeah. like there's no reason for that to be a little pocket of mankind divided on a different menu that has no connection whatsoever to the rest of the game. Like just put that out and you know, you could very easily get people to play through a smaller six hour version of Deus Ex and then it's like, Oh, I like that actually. Let me try the you know, the big one, you know. And I think that worked for Infamous. Yep. Uh, with both Festival of Blood and uh, First Light, it was it was interesting and, and a little sad to see the trend of the free to play MMOs, where you had like a lot of these big budget, you know, right. Star Wars <clears throat> and and um, uh, like obviously Warcraft, but there's like other licenses like Matrix had like its own uh, I mean, Lord of the Rings is one I'm thinking of that like when they went free to play, and uh, these other companies that like that was their model when it first came out. It's like we are free from the get go, and then seeing a lot of these like bigger MMOs like kind of backpedal and be like, okay, well we're free now too, yeah. and it's a bummer that they couldn't have that idea and really build the game from the ground up utilizing that. But like yeah, going free is something that I think every or or, or gifting you know to your community I think is is uh, is an out that every game should have going into development is that like if something happens where we launch at the wrong time or there was just some technical mistake that happened and now it's a year later and maybe a game like Rainbow Six Siege or you know For Honor or you know like games that are still up and running and still multiplayer now have a ton of you know content included in it that was not available at launch we just need a reason for people to jump in considering that like a free weekend where it just kind of you know check everything out um well it's smart it's all about perception too and it's all about combating trends because i think the perception for games for mmos that start with a subscription model and then go free to play is that oh they're, they're losing yeah and then like you don't the people don't want to spend time with the thing that's losing in a weird <laughs> way and uh i think like what makes the doom thing so cool is very rarely do you see DLC just go free, or it's yeah. like it's with this update you're going to get all of it. And so um, I think a lot of times people just follow paths that came before. When we're seeing so much value in striking out and doing something else, like think think of like Nintendo Direct, right? Where that is, those have become events, and that was just flying in the face of the way that we did things before they existed. So yeah. That was a good email. I like that email. It's an mm. interesting thing to ponder. Um, our last email is a bit of a heavy one. It's from Sebastian. Ooh. 
says, Dear Allies, today I lost my job. It hurts, and as someone who already struggles with depression, this is hitting me very hard. Since I know all of you have gone through this, I wanted to ask you, gone through losing our jobs, I wanted to ask you how you dealt with such a difficult period in your life. Were there things that you were able to do that helped you from getting depressed? Uh, I know I won't be making a comeback as some independent content creator like yourselves, but any advice you have just for getting through the day? Find a big project you can commit to. Uh, I had two big projects following the closure of Game Trailers. One was packing up all of our stuff, and the other was The X-Files. Uh, it was on, the whole show was on Netflix. And I was like, all right, here we go. I know I'm going to just be packing up boxes a lot and just, like, you know, moving stuff to my car and back and forth. And so just, like, having a thing that uh, um, I could look forward to um, that, um, I mean, it was a, a show I had already seen, but like finding busy work that can just take your mind off something that isn't busy work for busy work's sake, but something that will help you, you know, maybe like a project you've been meaning to right. do forever. Um, it might help just kind of distract you from things. Uh, and you know, having, uh, uh, I know it sounds really silly, uh, but, uh, having like Mulder and Scully, like with me, you know, just to kind of mm, like, yeah. just, just something I could do. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, Mulder's had a really bad day. You know, I forgot like, wait, I am having a bad day too. Um, but just, yeah, anything you can do to distract yourself. Uh, but not only in a bite-sized thing, because when you're done gobbling that, you're going to try to find something else, something that has like a little more, a little more of a, uh, a length that, um, I mean, obviously try to find another job. So not some, not something so distracting that it'll, uh, take you away from things you should be working on, but just something to, something to dis- distract you for a bit helps. Um, yeah, I guess I'd kind of say in a similar way is like, find that time of day that you're going to be focused on looking for a job, you know, like just four or five hours, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to set out for today. And then like, be okay with that. Yeah. Because it can be really easy to like, just spend your whole day stressed out that you don't have work and feeling like you should be doing something. But realistically like there's only so many opportunities and so many things that you can apply for in a given day and the opportunity that you actually need might be three or four days or three or four weeks from now and and so you've just got to kind of like take it a step at a time it's like okay this is when i'm going to deal with this i'm going to do it constructive and i'm not just going to sit around worrying 24 7 and like be able to do other things in your life um, rather than just sit around thinking about what your next job's going to be. Yeah, I, I think both of you are, are taking the words right out of my mouth because I think the thing that people struggle with the most the way that I felt, like Game Trailers was a dream job for me and then just having it not exist anymore, you reach a place where, like, you it's so hard doing anything. Like, even just, like, getting ready in the morning feels like like a mountain. Um, and I think you can just you can just reach that rock bottom point where you don't want to get out of bed. And I think a good way of going about your day, like maybe you're not ready to start applying for other jobs. Maybe you're not ready to think about the future. Maybe you're not ready to like clean your room. So, and maybe in an effort to combat that, it, it's so important to feel like you accomplish something during yeah. this time. Mm-hmm. And that can start out as like the simplest thing. Maybe it's like, oh, I... There's an email I've been putting off. I'm going to reply to the email. That could be like your first goal. And then build from there to the point where you are eventually getting more and more constructive and more uh, productive and and applying for jobs and getting out there and living your life again. But yeah, um, just no matter what, find something, even if it's the smallest thing, and do it and then slowly build and grow. And 
just that 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 feeling of accomplishment will mean so much to you for sure and and if you if you do find uh, a hobby or something like to keep your mind busy uh i think it helps to have something that is around you so that you can see the progress yeah. so that even when you're at your desk looking for jobs or something if it is literally your desk that you cleaned up or the room or something that like you that's around you and can remind right. you like i have done something i have made progress uh my life is potentially better in some ways than it was a week ago even though i lost this thing which is so vital uh video games immediately after games were shut down were that for me because video games are a thing where you can finish them yeah you can Mm -hmm. accomplish something you can get somewhere and so just like playing a game and finishing it immediately after game shows closed like felt like some sort of accomplishment it was a good it was a good start but yeah apologies and good luck apologies and good luck it's tough it's really really tough i feel for you that's why i wanted to answer this email uh because we've been through it and I'm so happy to say that we're here now, but we're not going to end. We're not going to end it on a pressing note. I have an exciting thing to announce about this show. Um, we're doing sponsors. We already have some sponsors lined up, and the way that it's going to work is uh, because this is a biweekly podcast, so it's $500 uh, to be an Easy Allies podcast sponsor, um, and then that's that's once a month, and then we will read uh, sort of a description of your person or business. Brandon does this with mm-hmm. things like uh, like what you have on your shirt right yeah, there. Sweet Justice right sweet there. Sweet Justice. Sounds <laughs> um, like company based in England. Sorry. That's a special segment called Podcast Halftime. The way that we're going to do it in Frame Trap is for the $250 Frame Trap sponsorship, which you can find more information on, on patreon.com slash easyallies. Uh, we're going to be bringing back a well-loved segment called uh, Caught in a Frame Trap. And basically what it's going to be is at some point during the show, we're going to play a little game. Uh, Like, which video game character said this line? We'll go through a quiz. If you're a sponsor, you will sponsor that portion of the podcast. And before we begin the game, before we begin the little quiz show, we'll need to read your name out loud, and uh, you'll be part of that. And so that will be uh, for any Frame Traps that month. So we usually do two Frame Traps a month. Um, but if we have a special episode, Noodles and Broth, something like that, um, you will be part of all frame traps in that month. And uh, that's something that we're doing. Awesome. So people are worried. Uh, they said, you know, I, what if the secret word doesn't get said or what if it drags on the podcast too long? Frame trap can't be too long, right? Uh, <laughs> I've already thought of ways around that. It will. Ah. We will this, this, we're not just taking this exactly as it was. We're going to spice it up, make it flow into the show a little bit better so that that has already been thought up of uh but the next frame trap you will see the first sponsor so starting in august we're gonna be doing that um and if you want to send an email to frame traps you want us to chew on it the panel and myself uh email ask easy allies at gmail.com were you crying there i was eating yeah oh i thought you were crying i was like Uh, brandon Brandon wants to get out of here (laughs) Um, but thank you so much, panel, for, for being here for three hours and 20 minutes. And thank you to everybody that wrote in. Again, the email address is askeasyallies at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.